Hello, uh, we're back. We are, um, we're now going to returning to the uh, international uh, legal offensive session of the Corona Investigative Committee. And this uh, committee was founded by four attorneys at law uh, in July of last year. And we're looking at the coronavirus situation and the lockdown uh, crisis, one has to say, um, in detail. And we've been doing this for now, like, well, basically almost like more than nine months, I think. And in the meantime, we've um, set up quite intense um, connections with lawyers from all around the world and, and activists from all around the world. And today we're talking to, um, to people from the US and from um, some um, Eastern European countries. We're also going to turn to, um, to Japan and going to get an, an insight into the Japanese and Indian situation. So it's going to be quite um, interesting, I think, today. And um, our first guest is uh, Tony Roman. Hello, Tony. It's well, good morning or good afternoon. Yeah, I know this is, a, this is a terrible time. It's six o'clock in the morning or maybe 6.20 right now. It's not my time. When do you normally get up? Uh, around six, almost around this time, around 6.30, I would say. So okay. We're okay. Yeah, it's great to be with, uh, with all the freedom fighters around the world who are, who are watching and, and tuning in. Yeah, this is the only way to go. We've got to connect with each other and support each other. And uh, in the end, that'll make the difference. That plus right. the spiritual level, which seems to be more and more important. Um, it's not just the legal level. You're not, you're not even using any lawyers for your uh, fight, are you? No. Mm -hmm. No, like I always say, uh, to stand up and fight, uh, you don't need lawyers uh, to run interference. You don't need politicians. Uh, you just need fighting spirit. And uh, I think at some point, if you get arrested or you know, if you have a legal case, and you want to, you know, uh, uh, figure out how to navigate uh, through it and learn how the court systems work. You want to hire one or, you know, but you can do the research yourself and figure it out. So, um, you know, in this country, uh, you know, what I've done, you know, and I've explained this is that uh, I don't give the courts authority over me, so I don't even show up. Yeah, because you're relying on your God-given rights, more or less, on the Constitution and what, uh, and on your right to keep your business open, make money, and and uh, uh, work with your customers. That's it. Well, for I me, mean. yeah, yeah, and 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 for for us, for for me, I've made this clear many, many, many times since since day one. We've never made it about the business. We've never talked about making money or or staying open for the for the sake of making money or paying our bills or rent or or whining about any of that. Uh, we've made it about freedom only. So, mm -hmm. so we put, we basically committed our business as a, you know, as a battleground in this fight and uh, putting everything at risk, laying it all on the line. And that's what you have to be willing, willing to do. I tell people all the time, it's not a fight if there aren't consequences. You have to accept the consequences when you step into the ring to fight. So, uh, so for us, it's never been about business. It's never been, it's never been about being open for the sake of, of doing business. It's been, being open for the sake of of making a point, you know, standing on principle, um, and what that means to us and to people watching. Yeah, and for for people who have not come across uh, Tony Roman and his fight um, yet, just to to let them know, um, you you have an uh, I think it's an Italian restaurant in where is it exactly located? Huntington Beach, California. Mm -hmm. And you uh, never closed your yeah you never closed your business for one day. No, never. Uh, we've never co complied with anything. Uh, zero restrictions. We even banned masks. You can't even get in with a mask. So we did. 
we did everything the opposite. Um, you know, for example, when they when they imposed a uh, a curfew, we extended our hours. And uh, you know, we do those kinds of things. Uh, you know, uh, basically, you know, it's like counter punching. You know, when they when they hit at you, you got to hit them back ten times harder with your actions. You got to punch them in the face with your actions. Then they realize that they're in for a fight. And when you do it, you do it almost. You know, at at times with a smile and you know and a wink, because when you hit somebody in the face and they smile at you, then then they know they're in, you know, they're in for a battle. Mm. So so as we were talking about earlier, instead of uh, resisting, we attack. We attack the lockdowns, mm. and we don't we don't allow any remnants of the lockdown, any any evidence of it inside our business. And like I tell people, we've kept our business uh, vintage America. When you walk in there, you feel like. It's old America, which is only, you know, basically a year ago, pre-March 19th, uh, 2020 for us in, in, in California. And the last time we spoke, you told us that people are coming uh, to have dinner at your restaurant from not just uh, uh, the Huntington Beach or L.A. area, but from all over the country, more or less. Right. Yes. You know, at first when we did it, um, You know, we knew or I knew that that there'd be a, a good chance that we could lose our business, that people would never sh show up. And in the beginning, that's that's the way it was. People were still uh, uh, c concerned, you know, when they were uh, reading and and watching the news about this pandemic of fear and they wouldn't show up. So um, but over time, as as you know, as the story spread, uh, Patriots heard about it and they they drove from everywhere. Uh, we've had people even fly in from everywhere. So um You know, now it's a different story. You know, uh, I tell people it's like a 1776 tavern, you know, like 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 you would have seen back in this in the 1700s when George Washington, Thomas Jefferson and all all the rest of them would hang out inside a bar and drink. And I, I tell people that I think that they I think I think these these tyrants, they they wanted to target restaurants and bars because they knew the history of this country. That's where the rebellions uh, started. That's where the patriots gathered. So they wanted to keep us separated. So when you walk into our business, you'll see patriots connecting and, and, and meeting every night. Uh, organizations formed. We've seen uh, political campaigns launched there. I mean, we've, it's, uh, it's unbelievable. You know, the feeling when you walk in there is a lot of spirit and, uh, and it's pretty electric. Uh, Gina can tell you about it. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, it, um, it, it really is, Reiner. I mean, it's become a, it's not just that there's great food there, because there is, but it's a, it's a place where sort of all this chaotic and negative energy gets transmuted, almost like when you walk right into the restaurant itself. And um, it's not political, it's patriotic, it's, um, you know, a love for freedom and people coming in to connect with other people who feel the same way. And it's just, There's, there's, there's nobody who has done what Tony has done the way he has done it. Not one single person. And I keep looking in the U.S. or anywhere else. And it's, um, it's, a, it's an attack strategy and it's a refusal to back down no matter what. And part of, I think, what's going on is you mentioned um, sort of the spiritual aspect of things. And I think what's happening is a lot of people are wrapped up in the mind piece, in the knowledge piece, and what the data is, what's the science behind this, and, and, the, and the lawyers and stuff. And I love you guys, but, you know, I also work with lawyers every day. Um, but but it's with, with, with what I'm seeing that makes Tony very different in all of this is he has a faith outside of those things and, and a belief in God and spirit. And that was one of the first things they took away from us in this lockdown 
was the ability to gather, to be together. So here we are gathering in rolling 70, 1776 style, as Tony likes to say. Um, and we're gathering inside this place. It's become like church. And people have to take back their belief systems in, in something outside of themselves, bigger than themselves, whatever you are, um, whatever your religious belief is, because I think that is part of how we win this war is to know that there's something greater than us and to rely on that. And that's what I watch Tony do all the time. He's like, I don't care what the lawyers say. I don't care what the science is. I don't care what any of that is. It's like a laser beam of truth. Let us, yeah, so, uh, go ahead, go ahead, No, I was just gonna say, uh, let us give people a taste of the unflinching, unrelenting Tony, because we have a uh, short video clip I think it's 10 minutes long or so. Um, you want me to explain it first? Yes, please. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, so when I have court dates, I don't show up. And the reason why I don't show up is because I refuse to go on bended knee, give them authority over me where I feel like they don't have any. Look, we, you know, th this is the, the, um, the video you're gonna see is a, is, is a response to the a ABC, which is the Alcohol Beverage Control Board in the state of, of California. They have a uh, they have a heavy hand, and uh, Gavin Pelosi, as I call him, the tiny tyrant in Sacramento, he he made them part of his strike team, and um, he he understands that when you hold the liquor license is very valuable. So what they did is they went around bullying people, threatening to revoke the license and shut the business down. Um, you know, for us, you know, we've never committed an alcohol related you know related type of a, of a crime. There's no there's no underage drinking, there's no narcotics being sold there or prostitution or gambling, any of that stuff, uh, disorderly house, none of that. So for me, I felt um, in relation to uh, to the pandemic of fear, um, they don't have any authority over us. So I decided I'm not going to show up. And instead, I wait till they gather for me to show up, expect me to show up. And instead, I fire off a video of me uh, shaming them and telling them why I'm not coming and challenging them and mocking them. And um, so the one you're going to see now is actually the third one, because I had I had two other court dates. And then the third one, the one you're going to see is the one now I sent to the director of the ABC who runs the entire state, state agency. He is the one that's appointed by by the governor, Gavin Pelosi. And, um, you know, he's appointed by, by him and he works underneath him. So, you know, their minds are made up and I know that. So so I mean, what's the use? So so instead, when I heard that the judge finally uh, recommended to the to the director that they punish us, and then I explained what the punishment is, he now has it sitting on his desk, and he can decide whether to authorize the punishment, dismiss it, or increase it. Um, so I think you know when I sent him this uh, this uh, video in response to it, I think he was surprised by what I said, and that's uh, and this is the video. Okay, let's hear it. Let's see it rather. I'm gonna make sure that it really- And these rolls. are just parts of it. These are these are just segments of it. This okay. is not the whole thing. It's All right. Just mm -hmm. uh, bits and pieces of it, yeah. Very good. Yeah. It's it's without sound. Nee, nee, nee. Oder? Die Zuschauer okay. hören das. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, almost all other businesses, if not every single one of them across the state and even the country on day one, 
when ordered to comply with lockdown threats, did exactly that. Most complied fully, others at minimum complied on some level and for at least some period of time. And there were even more who were so frightened they shamefully enforced above and beyond the empty mandates. All of them scared to lose what they worked so hard for with no regard for what's most important, disgracefully surrendering their liberties in exchange for promised security, in essence, making a deal with the devil, except for one. By now, you surely know about us. You see, we aren't talking heads who put nothing at risk. We aren't paid so-called patriots financially benefiting for the stand we take. We aren't compromised having an allegiance to anyone, any group, or any entity. We are simply men of action with only an allegiance to God and country, this country. We are Basilico's Pasta y Vino. And because our stand is pure and true, we are the only restaurant, bar in California, maybe even the country, that has in a style of open, bold, and aggressive defiance, never complied for one second with any of the Chinese Communist Party-inspired lockdown orders and mandates you try and help enforce since they began in California on March 19, 2020. Because tyranny has no place in this country or any other, we have ignored your petty threats of retaliation. And because your behavior is treasonous, we haven't resisted lockdowns, but we have attacked them. We have openly defied by operating fully and boldly inside and out with zero restrictions. And also unlike all others, have even publicly taunted Gavin Pelosi and state agencies like yours when doing so. We aren't like the others you have faced who have just begun fighting when we are already round 10, 11, and 12 of this battle. And when they do still only dare to defy in an attempt to win small and partial victories, we didn't wait 15 days or even 15 seconds. We instead stepped into the ring when the bell rang for round one on March 19th, 2020. We intend to walk you all down into the corner where you and your co-conspirators of tyranny will either throw in the towel or we knock you out. And we will never tire until that happens but we know you will. You see, Eric, and everyone watching, in most wars, it is our military men and women who are sent off to bravely defend our freedoms. But in this one, your mini-master has declared war on churches and small businesses, especially restaurants and bars. He has chosen to target all of us as his enemy in this battle. Is it because he and his gang of fascist tyrants across this nation know that throughout American history, it is in the houses of worship where people pray together and taverns where people eat and drink together, where patriots gather and rebellions are organized? No matter the reason, because he has targeted all of us this time, it's the obligation of every American business and church to dedicate itself as a battleground. This time, we must be the ones who step up and volunteer as the soldiers for freedom in this fight. Again, also unlike all others, as I've said since day one, our defiance has never been about the right to work or run a business or, or pay a rent or pay our employees, etc. And since this nonsense began, I have never once whined about trying to save our business. Our stand has been about something far more important, only being about defending American liberty and freedom. And as I have also made clear in this fight, we have pledged our business as a constitutional battleground, risking everything, laying it all on the line, willing to sacrifice it all to do our part in helping preserve our great country as we knew it and all it has stood for since its founding. We have and will always do so in honor of our nation's founding fathers who risked everything to gift us the protections of our God-given freedoms. 
and our brave soldiers who have given their lives, defending them since. We salute them. You see, Eric, we view this fight between us as a battle of wills. The tyranny your agency supports and looks to help impose and enforce versus our will to defend freedom and to destroy any remnants of your lockdowns wherever they exist. We will never appear and stand before you to answer for the ridiculous, childish, make-believe charges you have against us, granting you authority over us where there is none. And that is why instead we still publicly stare you down and everyone else associated with lockdown tyranny. And while doing so, mock you for your clumsy goose-stepping comedy. After all of the time, funds and resources you have all wasted for over one year and the threats made by your master, your agency's judges, prosecutors and agents to destroy businesses and livelihoods for defying mandates, especially in the manner we have. Your courts and Judge D. Hubel, is that even a real name, now recommends that you consider authorizing to only punish us. We get this everyone watching. Only a 30 day suspension, seriously? As we thought, you have no real will. You don't believe deeply in what you're doing compared to our belief in what we are doing because evil is on your side and God is on ours. So here is my challenge to you, Eric. Although I have zero respect for you as an American for your subjugation to the tiny tyrant in Sacramento who has tried attacking small businesses like a yappy teacup chihuahua trying to nip at our ankles. I would have more respect for you as a man if you at least try and act like you believe in what you have been doing and follow through on your BS threats by making a real attempt to revoke our license as you threaten, you will have two chances to do so, showing us all who you truly are. The recommended punishment that now sits on your desk and as a judgment for the second round of charges against us now also makes its way through your court. Your actions have helped ravage businesses and personal lives because you apparently believed in this pandemic of fear. So if you truly believe, at least be a man of honor and punish as you promised. Because in this face-off, you are not just looking across the ring at just any opponent. Honor for us means everything. And because of that, we took you seriously. And that is why we have been willing to take all incoming fire from every direction because of our stand. So don't be afraido, like the little dictator in Sacramento who I've been taunting all along. Now I dare you to be a man of your word and go ahead and show us by dropping the hammer. Try and make the consequences you promised worth our sacrifices in this fight. Try and make us an example. You couldn't choose a better symbol of lockdown defiance and defender of liberty and freedom over the past year to step up and punish. Here I am, just one man standing against the great power all of you diminutive despots think you wield. And remember, although I'm just one man, my stand represents millions of American patriots so go ahead, here's your chance to try and punish us all. Come on, bring it. As the final judgments against us lay on your desk, awaiting your approval until they are official, what will you do? Go ahead, revoke. It would be a badge of honor for us. And if you don't have the guts to prosecute us as your agency promised, then finally do what's right and confess that you have no authority over us and all others in this matter. 
You see, what you're not getting is that no matter what you do, we still win. Why? I promise to defy no matter the consequences that we would proudly sacrifice it all to stand for freedom by never complying with any arbitrary orders created out of thin air by the tiny tyrant. We have done so since day one, stonewalling all enemies of freedom during the lockdowns. We knew, now proven by your agency's proposed measly 30-day suspension, that unlike our true and real pledge to make sacrifices to defend freedom, your threats to destroy it were built on a house of cards. So we have called your bluff, and we won't stop until we blow the whole thing down. On behalf of your master, you have cried wolf, intentionally spreading your pandemic of fear among most. But what you didn't count on as a result was the rise of the many new lions and lionesses your march towards fascism has created. I have seen them in person, and they are impressive. They have come from everywhere to stand with us, and depending on your decision, you and your gang of jackals just might soon see them too. And you will then get to witness their ferocity to defend our American way of life for yourself. We're ready for battle. Are you? So to all of you watching from the sidelines, especially the men shaking in your boots, frozen in a state of fear, doing nothing for your country and your fellow Americans, and worse, emboldening the enemy of American freedom with your embarrassing subjugation, shame on you. You, though, still have time, but it's now or never. Find your honor and courage. Be a patriot and stand with all of us. Okay, we're back on. Now, you just said, Tony, that you're not one to pick fights, um, you, you, but you are standing your ground. Um, how do people react to this? How do the patrons react to this? They, I mean, you'd be surprised how many times people will walk in there in tears. It's amazing what it represents to them. And like I was explaining to you when we were off air, um, uh, you know, the difference is we've never made it about our business. We've always made it about what being open represents to people. And they see, they see the business not only as good food, but they see it as, as um, something that represents what they believe in. So, um, you know, when you walk in there, you feel it immediately. You feel the patriotism. You feel it, you know, you feel the strength and the courage among my team, um, you know, and, uh, and, you know, the people feel like, it, you know, almost like it's uh, like we're speaking for them, you know, and uh, I didn't realize that at first. We, you know, we took a stand just because, like I said, I felt, you know, I didn't feel upset about being uh, in a position where I had to fight these people. I felt, I felt so blessed and excited that I got to go into battle with these people and got to expose them and go to war with them. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not in the military, but this is my opportunity. And I, I've always said that I think that in other wars, it's always the soldiers who go off and fight. But in this war, the, you know, the, uh, the mini tyrants have, you know, and their Gestapo, their mini Gestapo, they, they have targeted businesses as the enemy. So it's the obligation of businesses to be the soldiers in this fight. Uh, I have people, you know, I have, you know, I have veterans of wars that come in all the time and say, what we're doing is just as important, sometimes even, even more Im important than what they're doing overseas because we're fighting the enemy within. We're fighting the uh, uh, domestic enemy, which is even worse. It's like the snake in the door. So when I say make no compromise, stand your ground, don't give an inch or they'll take a hundred miles, um, that's exactly why, because so many people have fell asleep at the wheel, taking their freedoms for uh, uh, granted and pursuing their selfish interests 
And as the enemy continues to to uh, uh, conquer more and more grounds of freedom, you know, you look the other way. You say, okay, it's just a small thing. It's a small thing. It's a small thing. Until one day you wake up and you've surrendered without even realizing it, and you're now self-imprisoned. And you say, what just happened? So when people, you know, I. I went to a um, uh, uh, to a meeting where these people were contesting these vaccine uh, these vaccine passports in Orange County, California, which is in in our backyard. And I looked around the crowd, and somebody came up to me and spoke to me about it. And went, wow, look at this crowd! Look how big it is! And I said, Yeah, and everyone here should blame themselves for even having to be here on a Tuesday, because they allowed these people to encroach on their freedoms for for so long, mm-hmm. you know, and now they have to fight. And that's why we took a hard stand in the beginning, banned the masks too, because the masks represent the lockdown. The masks, to me, were the greatest weapon of all mm-hmm. that they used. Mm-hmm. And the masks now have turned into vaccines. Do you think if people would have done like what we have done and banned them, and and if they had done that, th- these enemies of freedom would have never even had the courage for a second to think to then try to push for vaccines. They would have thought, no way, people won't even wear, they're not even wearing masks. You know, so you will still, you know, uh, when you're in the restaurant with us, you'll you'll still see see the show we call it, and people try to walk in with a mask. You'll see what happens. We've had, we I've had I've had members of our staff throw their own mothers out with their masks on. You know, <laughs> seriously, it's, yeah. So, uh, two guys have thrown their own mothers out of there. That 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 thought maybe they could get in. You know, oh it's okay. I, you know, I'm a you know I'm the mother of one of the you know son you know uh, one of the kids that works there. No, they'll stop them at the door themselves. Say, mom, you can't come in. Sorry, take off the mask. That's how you have to be. You can't have any compromise at all. Zero. You can't give them any ground at all. And when they come at you, you got to punch them in the face with your actions so hard, where they walk around, that where, where they walk away bloodied in the fight. And I say that even when you when you go into a store, I see people already reaching for the mask in their pockets before they're even asked. So there's. They're waving the white flag of surrender before they even walk into a business. And you have to walk in there and make them fight you so hard. They, they, you need to make them tackle you to the ground and put it on your face to the point when, when the struggle is over, they walk away feeling bloodied by the fight and hobbled. And they say to themselves, I'm never going to do that again. In fact, if, I, if this is part of my job description here, I'm, you know, maybe I'm going to quit. I'm not going to do this job anymore. We have to wear them down. You know, you mentioned earlier about a guest, I think, that, that you had that said he was depressed or tired or worn out. Yeah. And, you know, there's a saying, there's an NFL football coach, you know, American football. He had a saying that said, uh, fatigue makes cowards of us all. And basically what he means is, you know, everyone is a tough guy until they get uh, fatigued, mm-hmm. you know, in the fight. And, the, you know, that's when the fear starts to creep in. So you must prepare yourself for optimal health, meaning mental, physical, uh, spiritual, socially too, you know? And um, only then are you gonna be in the condition to impose your will, um, you know, on the opponent. So you have to, you have to maintain your health, you know, and you have to maintain your, you know, like I said, all, 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 all four of those, and then you'll be ready to fight. So, you know, when they, you know, when people walk in and ask me all the time, Tony, you okay, how you feeling? You know, you holding up all right? Or if they say to me, hey, Tony, I know you've been through a lot. I, I actually get offended because I'm not going through a lot. I'm making them, I'm, I'm making them go through a lot. I'm, I'm wearing them, them down. You know, I actually, I, tell, I think I told you this last time I was on with you, 
you know, when they don't fight me hard and they back off and it's quiet for a while, I get bored. I want to fight. I want to fight them at every chance that I get, you know? So, um, um, that, you, you know, know that, is, that is the only way to go uh, in slightly different words. Uh, this is precisely what a, uh, a rabbi from New Jersey told us. And this is precisely what a Holocaust survivor by the name of Vera Sharaf told us. Do not give them an inch, because once you do that, that's like caving in. And that's like uh, you're 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 giving up almost. Even though you you think maybe I can get away with this, or maybe this is just a little something that's not going to really bother me. No, there's no basis for this. You must not let them encroach on your on your rights in any way. Perfect. And yeah, you know what, no Reiner? I, I, I wanted to piggyback on something Tony said. You said something the other day, Tony, that really struck me because I believe this too. To the maths are the beginning and the end. Yeah. And way back yeah. last year. I mean, I knew this was going to become the symbol because if you take them off, the world looks normal. Nobody's sick. Nobody's really dying. This yeah. is such a hoax. It's such a crime against humanity and such a hoax. So the masks, now the masks are turning into, oh, well, if you get vaccinated, we'll take them off. But the, that's the thing. People have become completely exhausted. People that were standing and fighting before, they're now throwing up their hands and saying, oh, God, you know, this is almost over. So what? Let me just do it. And I know that is part of the strategy of the enemy. But we have got to recognize that the masks have more meaning than people. We're fighting some of the bigger scale things that are very important, but that simple thing is so profoundly impactful. And if people would just take them off, say no, not no because, that's another thing I have a huge issue with, is people making excuses for why they can't or won't wear them. When people will ask me to put them on, I just say no. And I say, oh, I say, I will not comply. And I just keep walking. And if they try to stop me, I will say, put your hands on me. That's assault. And I just keep on walking. And I get aggressive. I get really aggressive because I won't do that. But they are the beginning and they are the end. And they started this whole idea of fear and the, and, and the, the pandemic of fear. And now the end is, oh, we'll get vaccinated. The, the masks and the vaccines are so tied together, get vaccinated and now you can take off the mask. And, um, you know, and I just, I just want to say back to the restaurant piece, Tony, I wonder if you're, are you the fronts of your jackets getting worn out because he is hugged so much in that <laughs> restaurant all night long that I'm like, you know, worn out on the front. It's, but, but anyway, the masks to me also represent what we're going through. And if we can just encourage people, I watch the same thing. They, it's Pavlovian. They start to approach a store. There's a story um, coming into to Tony's restaurant, a friend of mine who knows the deal. We brought her daughters. And this, this actually was a moment of truth for me because I'm not around little kids anymore. My daughter's 26. And I had no idea. It really brought me to tears when I saw this. We arrived at the restaurant, and as soon as it was a 16-year-old and 11-year-old, as we got out of the car, literally as they opened the door, they both put their masks on. It's like what Tony was just saying. And when I told them they had to take them off, they looked at me with this cognitive dissonance of like I was speaking Chinese, what do you mean take it off, not put it on, right? And the little girl, the 11-year-old, was terrified. There was so much we had to go through, and I told her, I said, we can't stay here if you don't take it off. We have to leave. And then it was around the chin and, and it was like, no, you can't have it visible. It's got to go. But the fear that I saw in her eyes was a moment of truth for me. We we're destroying a generation of children yeah. because of this. Yeah. And the masks, the masks are the key. 
If the mask, if the mask would have went away, if the mask would have went away the first day, the thing would have been over. The mask is the whole thing, and uh, we we won't even let people when when they walk through the door and they and walk to the door and they try to keep it on and we we tell them take it off. They take it off, and even if it's hanging off their ear, we say it's not good enough. Take it all the way off, and if they hold it in their hand, we say it's not good enough. Stick in your pocket, throw in the trash, or put it in your purse. We don't want to see it at all. It's an insult to me. I don't want to see it. And you know, uh, you know, when she talks about people putting their masks on and surrendering before they're even asked, you know, I'm especially now challenging men because men are meant to lead, and you know, their families um, and and you know, people who are weaker than them, especially, are are depending on them to lead, especially in times of chaos. And so many men I see are just. I just can't believe what I'm seeing. And I think it's, you know, it's not too late, but they need to stand up now. And when you, you know, next time when the fight comes, you need to step in the ring in round one. I say this a lot. When you fight in round 11 and 12, the fight's over and you're swinging at nobody. They already knocked you out. They've already punked you, basically. And, um, and you know, you're, you're, you're swinging at nothing and your punches don't, don't have any impact. Your, your, your punches have impact in the, in the early rounds. And you know, I don't know if this is true, but I but I feel I, I feel this way. You, you being in Germany, I feel like when this thing happened, the rest of the world was watching America to see how how we would react. You know, um, you know, in this fight, uh, good versus evil. You know, I think that you know p people have have always around the world have have looked to us to see how we would handle it. Oh, Americans, you know, it's all about freedom. They're freedom fighters. They're patriots. It's their spirit to fight, and we instead failed. We failed miserably, and I can't believe it. It's 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 so disappointing to me, you know. And I think back to when the you know you and I when when we last spoke, we talked about the Berlin Wall, and I remember you mentioned it. It kind of felt felt like that mm -hmm. when it was coming down. You said, and I remember saying to you, I wonder if those people thought after 30 years of suffering when it was coming down, did they think to themselves, why do we wait 30 years? Why do we you know why do we fight the first day, the first week, so we didn't have to in, in, endure any of this? But but what happened was, you know, I studied it. And Khrushchev, when he was considering building the wall, um, he was he was basically uh, hesitant about it because he feared that America that, that there would be huge Western uh, pushback and that he would have, you know, uh, there'd be retaliation. And then he saw it was an interview with John F. Kennedy at the time, and Kennedy said in the interview publicly that he would not actively oppose a wall. And that's where he was emboldened. So the point is, that's why I say you need to stand up immediately to make them. We we need to bully them. That that's basically it. You know, people people have surrendered so easily because they feel fear. We need to make them feel the fear. There's more of us than there is of them. So um, you know, next time, don't be so selfish and only think about yourself. Think about your country and stand up for your country. I do think the tide is turning, though. Um, I do think things will probably happen first in the United States. There's there are a few people. I know California is a pretty bad place to be right now. Uh, I don't know how far this uh, recall thing has gotten. Uh, I know there's enough signatures, but I don't know. Uh, is it about to happen or uh, is it? What do you think? The problem with that is, you know, the reason why we're all in this I don't know how, how things work politically in, in, in Germany. I know in Europe, there's a lot more parties that run at a time. We have two, right? Republican, mm -hmm. Democrat, sometimes an independent. But the reason why we're in this mess, uh, too, in addition to everything else I mentioned earlier, is that 
uh, people have um, have sloppily uh, nominated people to run. They've yeah. they've they you know they 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 choose these people who 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 are all compromised. You know, I, I I hear people in America praising governors even who are supposed to be Republicans and conservative, um, and I don't care about parties. You know, just to be clear, I'm not political. Uh, they. They 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 are thanking these governors for giving back their freedoms piece by piece, like they have Stockholm syndrome. It's so almost like thank you, thank you, thank you. It's like wait a second, these people locked you up, yeah. you know. Yeah. Instead, they should be thrown in jail. These are these yeah. are traitors. They're not heroes. So, I think you know even there's a governor in Florida who people are praising all of a sudden, but he locked his state down too, and people are forgetting this. Mm -hmm. So they need it's, you know, they're they can't screw this up in in California, but I can already see it happening now. Mm -hmm. They're they're nominating candidates right now who are all compromised. You know, people who are too soft, people who have locked down their own cities, and now they're the saviors. And it just disgusts me because everyone's going to end up exactly where, where they are now. And when you say things like, like you know, when pe people are fighting now, hey, you know what? The damage has been done, a lot of damage. And the only thing that they they Look, if they want to fight fight now, great. They can get some practice in for the next time, okay? But it's too late to really have, have a big impact. Maybe they can get some practice in, so the next time it happens, they'll do what I asked and just step up on the first day, you know? But at the same time here, we see a lot of people coming out now, you know, like there's uh, this, uh, I don't know if you told uh, Tony and uh, Gina about this, um, you know, this activity by some, um, you know, some German actors, they came out like doing some kind of ironic um, statements about like how the measures should uh, continue forever, you know, sort of, and they that um, caused a lot of discussion in society. Or like, I mean, basically the the government really um, got very upset about it, and media sort of, you know, like so hopped on them. Storm, yeah. Yeah, but at at the same time, it's um, because it was some some really famous actors amongst them, and I think it inspired and it inspired a lot of um, reaction to that. So I think it's uh, you know there's a, a lot of dynamic going on at the same time. We just had an interview with basically a whistleblower, but he decided to come out with his face and name out there. You know, he's, he uh, gave evidence about like some, uh, you know, how the situation in the in the hospitals really is. And so I think there's more and more people coming out now with like full face and full name. So I think it's a good development that we can see here. Yeah, this is a young doctor. Um, he's a, I think, a neurosurgeon. And um, he could have, he, he had a choice. He could have just you know, given us an interview with uh, a distorted voice and behind a shield so that people wouldn't be able to recognize to to uh, to identify him. But he chose not to. He said, no, I want to take a stand. And that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. That's what you're doing. That's what this guy's doing. But I think that they need to take a pledge. I mean, if he's doing it now, he needs to take a pledge. All these people have to take a pledge, make a pledge that when this happens again, because it's going to happen again, are they going to do the same thing they're doing now, uh, almost a year and you know two months later? Are they going to do it next time on day one, and not not wait? You know, because already you know when you take a stand now, it's like the opponent's looking at you, just laughing, going, you know, I've already beat you down. I've already take I've already moved into your house. I've taken your lunch from your uh, uh, from your refrigerator, right? I've slept in your bed, you know, um, and. Uh, and I've already left and I'll do it again because I know you won't, you know, you, yeah. you're not going to stop me. That is right. So, mm -hmm. so next time these people who are, who, who are suddenly pounding their chest and saying they're brave, they better do it next time on day one when the, um, 
you know, when things are really, really, you know, when the fire, when they're taking incoming fire from it, from everywhere, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, one of the things that happened since, since we last spoke is not only the additional um, ABC charges is that we had, uh, we had OSHA, which is a federal agency, mm -hmm. um, help, you know, it's a health inspection agency. And they came, they came once we stonewalled them at the, you know, at the door that they, they didn't get in. They threatened to come back with a, uh, with a search warrant with the police. And they did a few weeks later. And, uh, and we stonewalled them again, they didn't get in. And so, so, so the point is, is that you need to fight when the consequences are huge, not when the consequences are small. You know, it, it's, it's not a fight unless there's consequences. And it's a bigger fight when the consequences are severe, severe consequences. That's when they know that you're not afraid. When they know that they're, they have a huge hammer hanging over your head and you still say, bring it, then they know they're in for a fight. Not, not when it's almost over, you know, that's all I'm saying. But I find it's interesting, you know, like today, um, we get approached by a lot of people on the street because they know us from watching us in videos. So today I, I spoke to a lady approached me and said, Joe, I want to thank you. You've been like the light in my darkness. And, you know, thanks so much for your courage. And I said to, to her, you know, it's not a, a question of like, uh, of being courageous, because I think it's really just that, I mean, that's for me. And I, I think it's the same for Rainer. It's, you know, that we just have to, to do it because yeah. it's the right thing. It's not that we, I, I didn't even have to overcome some feeling of fear you know, or like, oh, feeling now I have to be courageous, you know, but it's really, it was some really natural thing to, to do because it's really just what I had to do or what we had to do, I guess. It's the right thing to do and it's the only thing to do. That's... But I think you felt, mm -hmm. but I think you felt that way because, because you love your freedom and, oh, yeah. and you love your, and you love your country. I yeah. tell people that when you make your fight bigger than yourself, you're going to find courage. It's going to be natural. You know, I tell people this, if you're in the middle of an ocean, you know, on a boat, and somebody tells you to jump in, you probably won't, you know, especially if it's shark infested. But if you're, you know, if your child falls in, you're going to jump in immediately, not even, not even think about it because it's bigger than you. So if you make things bigger than, bigger than yourself, you'll find, you'll find the courage, but you can't, but you can't manufacture that, that type of feeling. It's got to be natural. You have to really have deep love for your freedom and for your country. Then it'll be instinctive. Otherwise you're just, you know, you're just trying to talk yourself into it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, no. Last time we were, you and me and Tony were together, Reiner, um, but now that we're talking about courage, I remember I said that there was a crisis of courage, and I feel like that's that's very much still the case, and maybe even more so since we, I think we did this in December. And the the problem, I think, that it still needs to be solved, and we can all maybe put our heads together, is how do we get people to cross over that threshold of what the example Tony just gave of, you know, jumping in the water, jumping in the water to save your child? Because what's happening now is jumping in the water to save your child. And yet people are still showing up. I've had an issue with protests since last year when they first started, because endemic in that is the idea that we're asking permission from these authorities, from these tyrannical you know, dictators in whatever country you're in, we're asking them to please let us out of jail. And that's that that authority rests within us. So when we go out in the street and we protest, I feel like they're laughing at us and saying, OK, so what? Let them have their moment. Let them make their noise. Let them party in the street. And you're wearing a mask. Anyway, I watch all these people show up complying, social distancing, wearing masks and saying all these things. Let us out. Let us out. And what's it going to take for us to go from knowing that this is so incredibly wrong to taking a stance like what Tony's doing, what I'm doing, what you guys are all doing, 
because it is shark infested waters and our kids are in the water, the planet is in the water. What is it gonna take for us to really activate that, that kind of courage that says, this is so much bigger than me. I've given up so many things, so many of us have in this last year, because this has never been about my small life. And you know, Tony has always said his, his restaurant is a constitutional battleground. And I'm saying we each have to make our lives a constitutional battleground. Everywhere we go, everything we do, everything we say, has to be aligned with the idea of making this all stop. You know, it's, 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 we have to find a certain level of courage where we're willing to die for it. You know, give me liberty or give me death, basically. And don't play the game either, you know. Don't, don't play the game. I get these people come into me, into the store, you know, into the restaurant, and they'll show me these fake passports, these vac vaccine passports, and they think they're getting over on the system. I'm thinking, what are you doing? You're, 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 you're playing their game. You're still giving them authority over you, even if it's fake, it's the same same thing. Throw that thing away. I don't want to see it, you know. Or people that or people that come in and talk a big game about fighting, then they tell me, oh, tomorrow I'm taking a flight. I got to put a mask on because I got to play their game. So no, no, you don't drive. Well, if I drive, it's gonna take me too long, and you know, oh, you know, my son's fighting too, but he's on a baseball team, but um, he's got to wear the mask, but you know, he's got to be on the team. No, no, he doesn't. You know, so you're either you're either standing on principle or you're not. You can't do it halfway. You got to do it fully. And you have to make sacrifices. Listen, people have fought and died for our country for 244 years. I'm sure for years too, as I know. Um, and, and you know, our founders put everything at stake when they, you know, when they uh, signed the de Declaration of, of Independence. You might know of the signature John H Hancock. So a lot of times people will say, put your Jan John Hancock right here. The reason why his signature is so famous is because when he signed, he knew that the King of England was, he, he had bad eyesight. So he wanted to give him the biggest middle, middle finger he possibly could and signed his name huge on the document showing I have no fear at all, you know? So um, that's the kind of courage that people need to win. Uh, the bully needs to be punched in the face, like I said, with our actions. Uh, rallies to me are just, are just a show. It's just a present. It's just like entertainment. People are partying in the streets. Uh, you can take that time. You can save that time and energy and use it to put action in, in place. Whether you have a business or 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 you work for somebody, take a stand. Take real action. Rallies, like like Gina just said, they're just looking at their watch, watching for the you know the enemies are are, are looking at their watch, waiting for the rally to, to be over and everybody to go home. Most of the time, when you when you see these people on Zoom meetings anyway, when people are going before them and protesting. They're, they're, you know, they're eating lunch or they're texting or they're not even paying attention. They're, you know, they're totally insulting you. And um, so we have to, we have to quit wasting our time asking per permission and take real action. Yeah, uh, beg your pardon, Tony. Can I interfere for a second? Yes, sir. <laughs> uh, I don't find it only in a courage. Uh, I think it's a crisis of uh, moral. Uh, people are not following the, the laws they are following the bylaws, which are illegal in our country. Um, so it's 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 more about the moral, and more about the the integrity of the people, and it's it's also a crisis of the education system here in Slovakia, yes. and the crisis of the science. 
Yes. So this is what I what, what I find is, is, is it's important. A crisis, it's a crisis of the entire system. This entire system needs to be brought down. We're going to have to come up with a new one. This this is this this is beyond repair, and uh, we and the thing is when you said they're probably Gina when you said they're probably laughing at us. Yeah, and you know why? Because they're thinking they don't even see that the door is open. You know. And that is ridiculous. And that's why I think this is so important that people like you, Tony, and all the others, there's not very many, but that we set an example. Sooner or later, they're going to follow us, but we're going to have to, we're not going to have to be, we can't be content with stopping this. We're going to have to go after them. So this is not going to happen again, both in civil courts and in criminal courts. Yep. And Peter, what he said is, is, is right on about moral, you know, because people know inside when especially people who 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 believe in freedom and want their freedom but they but they cave in yeah. inside it's a it's for them it's an eternal struggle and i tell people when you when you re reluctantly hang a sign on your window that says no mask no service or you do temperature checks or you embolden them with your actions and help them help these tyrants enforce these lockdowns um you you become an enemy you know freedom too and when you do that your your subjugation to them is demoralizing your soul and your spirit and it is uh, uh uh scarring you forever whether whether you know it now or not and you will live with it and eventually it's going to hit you and it will affect your 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 self-respect and if you have a business that's shut down if you know if you if you shut shut your business down and you think all of a sudden when you re reopen everything's going to be fine again you're going to have the scars of su surrender all over the walls and you're going to feel it the, the customers are going to feel it it's just it's going to haunt you and uh and I, I actually had a guy travel all the way from uh florida who 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 saw me speak about that and he said he said to me the night after he heard me say though those things the next day he he um he complied with something and he said it haunted him the the entire night. And the next day he woke up and he remembered the words I said. He said, I will never, ever do that again. And he drove all the way from Florida to tell me that in person. It was oh. unbelievable. He, he and his brother. He, yeah, that's about a 3,000 mile trip. And he drove just to just to say those things to me. So, um, so yeah, it does haunt you. Yeah, you know, especially if you're especially if you're a real man, it's going to haunt you for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I think this is going to be um, this is going to make a dif difference, not just for the ju just like the example you just gave us. I mean, someone who listens to you and then he gets in his car and decides, well, I made a mistake. I didn't I didn't quite follow his advice and then travels 3000 miles across the country. That tells you that you are having an impact. Of course, you're having an impact. Everybody wants to be where you are. And I realize, of course, that many people are living their lives through you. But I mean, that's a start. Even yeah. even if it takes them a while, it's a start. Hey, I'm very moved. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm very humbled by it all. I'm sometimes embarrassed by it. You know, I, you know, I never thought this would happen. When I took my stand, I just, I reacted to something by instinct and uh, the rest is history. Um, you know, I never asked for any of this. I, I, I've lived a very private life before and I've sacrificed that too. Um, and, you know, I still get threats and, you know, people, you know, you know who knows what will happen, you know, uh, but I'm prepared for the consequences. It doesn't matter to me. I, I, I feel like God's on our side 
evil's on their side, and um, and that emboldens me. There's yeah. no doubt so. about that. There's absolutely you know what, no doubt about that. Yeah. Right. You know, there's something I want to say though, and I, I, I I'm kind of tough about this. Um, when I've done a couple of speaking things with Tony, what I do see happening though is people watch what he's doing, and like I said, I'm obsessed with this bridge between people knowing and people doing, and. And what happens is they watch him and they're in awe of him. And it, he truly, his, his leadership is awe-inspiring, but they fail to take the next step. I can't tell you how many things I've, I've been to um, where Tony has spoken and then I'll see those same people and they're doing the same thing or they, they comply, they complain and comply. That's what I call it. They complain, complain, complain because they know this is all wrong. And yet they continue to go in lockstep with the agenda. So. There's a lot of people that know this is the right thing to do, but don't know how. And I feel like this is something we have to solve. How do we get people to cross that bridge? How do we get them? And some of what I have learned, people have said to me, because I'm pretty fierce with my language when I'm out there and stuff. And people are like, well, I want to do it, but I don't have the words or I don't know what to say or I don't know what to do. And so maybe building a bridge is creating some kind of a template of some kind, meaning an example how people can do this because so many times I think people want to but they're being they're literally being bullied by the other side here and they won't stand up to them so uh, it, it's something that really drives me nuts because I want to figure out how to help these people you know have the tools to do it because Tony has been for over a year since this started he's been an incredible example of look what he's doing and look at the result nobody's touched him because he won't let them and yeah, uh, people won't won't follow his his lead. Yeah, and based on, on on what she's saying too, I started a website a while back. Uh, make restaurants great again. It's for all businesses. Uh, make restaurants great again dot com. That's for all businesses and uh, all you know all my interviews, uh, uh, videos that I've uh, that I've fired off to the you know to the government agencies, uh, blasting them. Um, all my stuff there. Even my interaction with the ABC when they came and approached me. With the warrant, uh, somebody filmed me, uh, you know, ha having the interaction with them and, and stonewalling them at the door, not letting them in. Everything is there, uh, the story's there, and I challenge people on that site to do what we've done. Uh, there's criteria on there for businesses to follow, um, and I get people that call me from around the world or around the country. People around California drive down and, and talk to me, you know, in person, sit down with me. And by the time I'm done with them, you can see they're fired up about what I'm saying and they're ready to do it. But then a few days later, they'll call me and say, I can't do all the things you're asking me to do. I just can't do it. I'm, you know, I'm afraid my wife talked me out of it. My attorney talked me out of it. You know, uh, somebody's talked them out of it um, and they just didn't feel to do it. Or they'll say, oh, it's almost over anyway. I'll, I'll slide through the rest, you know, the rest of the way. Or I've invested too much money in the business or I have too much at stake and this and that. Um, there was one night though, uh, a family came in and this man was sitting in front of his wife and his son and his daughter. And he was telling me that based on what we're doing, he, he now has, he said he and his son have a, a home improvement business. They have big, big, big accounts and contracts. And he's now sacrificing contracts that, or if, if it's a family that says you can't come work on our house, if you're not wearing, wearing a mask, he'll, he'll reject the contract. And he says he's losing tens of thousands of dollars. And I told him, I said, look, you're going to be blessed in other ways. Uh, you know, blessings will come your way. And he was, you know, as he was telling me that he's that, you know, that he and his son are doing it and his son is proud of him and that he's standing up and he's making these sacrifices. You know, as he's telling me this, 
you could see his chest just puff out and his wife was just watching him talk and i said look at your wife look how in love look how in love she is with you right now hearing you stand up like you can see it in her, you can see it in her face and when i said that he looked at her and she got grabbed him and hugged him and kissed him you know so um yeah, you just got to be. You, you just have to be willing to make the sacrifice. I mean, too too many people have 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 fought and died for us to have uh, freedoms around the world. Um, to uh, to just uh, dishonor them and throw it all away over a mask, you know. But that's how it works. We have to. The, this is the only way. We cannot resort to violence. We have to lead by example, and then step by step, things will start to happen until eventually this is going to be an avalanche that no one can stop. This this may happen any any day now, because people are really, really they've had it. They're fed up with this. Even if it's just because they're angry, that's a good enough reason. Anything is a good enough reason. If we take if we take an uncompromising stand and we fight hard, I want to say something in German. Is that okay? Sure. <laughs> I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try. Okay, you ready? Yeah. All right. Der Sieg ist unser. Der Sieg ist oh. unser. Yes. Yeah, Victory right. is ours. <laughs> yes. That's it. Well, thank yes. you so much, Tony. The next time we meet, it'll be at your restaurant. Oh man, I can't wait. <laughs> and, 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 and I hope that all of you can eventually come and see me. I, I would love it. I'm working on that. <laughs> okay. Okay. God, God bless you. God bless your countries and God bless America. Take care. Thank you so much. All right. Keep, thank you. Keep fighting. Always. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> thank you. Bye guys. Bye bye. Gina, take it easy. Bye. See you soon. Yep. Bye Vivian. Thank you. So <laughs> Gina. So who uh, who is um, Ellie Ellie Dillman? Are you there, Ellie? Can you hear us? I'm sorry about the delay. I'm sorry about the delay. That's a, Can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Good. What time is it in Australia where you are? Uh, it's after midnight. Well, we'll only keep you a few minutes. <laughs> so. How do you feel? How, how do you feel about what we just heard Tony saying? What are, are, are is there anyone like him in um, in Australia? Well, not that I'm aware of. Oh. Because because we're not um, suffering to the same extent mm -hmm. as they are in America. Look, it's a people just go about their lives. And they just, I'm not a complying person. So I don't understand it. I was sort of, someone sent me a document called the mask exemption. And when they sent it to me a few weeks ago, when Queensland did get back in lockdown, and I went, wow, fantastic. That's great. I'm just going to go about the streets and go into shops and, you know, um get on trains and do whatever mm -hmm. and and that's what i did and i didn't wear the mask for the whole time but it was very confronting to see how many people were compliant and i gave them this i told them you know here is a way that you you know the health department saying if you think if you've got a medical condition and you can't wear a mask um, and here's the way that you don't have to tell them what medical condition you've got. 
you they can't make you produce a letter. So confidently you can go about doing your business and going in and out of shops. And 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 do you know how many people wouldn't do that? Like they just were given like I saw it as oh my ticket to be able to go wherever, and they didn't do it. Oh no, I just think I'll I'll just put the mask on my wrist because I might need it. And I went, what? <laughs> Why? Why? Why can't you just forget about it? Oh no, oh no, I think it's going to be okay. I said, well, you know, and and that's what frustrates me with this whole process. The people are not prepared to take that small step and say, no. They're not ready I'm not yet, doing huh? it. What? Are they not ready yet? Hmm? Yeah. The, the question yeah, is... I don't... Mm. Yes, I don't... I don't think... In Australia, people are very laid back and a bit apathetic, mm. all right? It takes a lot to get them motivated to do anything. I basically am not a person that easily complies with things. And if, if I see that what is happening is completely wrong, all right? But to actually get other people to do that, it is very, very difficult. Now, I got into this originally because I just felt it wasn't the right thing to do. And to just sit back and say, look, I could have stayed, I'm a retired boy. I could have said, oh, look, my garden's more important than this. But I wasn't prepared to do that. I said, no. And so, I don't know how many letters I've written to the TPA, the different premiers, to all over the place, and just pointing out to them, look, the PCR test is flawed. Here's the, you know, the uh, 19 virologists saying that most people, and in Queensland, all the parliamentarians have been have been sent. Some of the letters that I've written, they just throw them in the bin. I said, oh, maybe the cleaning lady needs to, wear it, needs to read this, you know. Because the thing is, they are operating on the basis of silence. But I said, I don't care if they're silent, because these are all legal letters. And one day I can come to the court and say, look, I've written 50 letters and I haven't got a response, you know. But to get that same sort of idea out of other people, it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, <laughs> they, it's just this idea that, oh, no, it'll be okay. And I said, well, it won't be okay. And no. you've given away all the freedom now. What are we going to do? I've written it's, letters I was, about. I was surprised, Ellie, to see when we were on a number of uh, Zoom conferences, maybe five or six, I was surprised to see that there's not really, there are only very few attorneys who are willing 
to engage in a fight in this, and they don't seem to understand that this is not about co constitutionality. Of course it's about constitutionality, but they don't seem to understand that you have to attack at the very foundation. You just mentioned it, the PCR test. If, they, if, if we destroy the PCR test, then the entire House of Cards is going to collapse. And I don't get it uh, why there's so few people in Australia who understand this. Why is that? Well, I think that because, like once you start mentioning, like I've never stopped mentioning the PCR test from the minute that I saw you talking months and months ago, all right? And I went, yes, that's it. This is it. This is what we have to get people to understand. You can't even get them to understand John Ioannidis' paper that says 99.9% of 65-year-olds and under will survive this virus. That is like a... That, to me, is a no-brainer. You know, the minute that you know that, why are you going to be rushing in and doing anything? But... And I'm very disappointed in the lawyers absolutely disappointed that some of them can't come forward and even say, look, what do you want to do? We'll, we'll, we'll get together and we'll run a few pro bono cases. You know, what is that? Like, that is just unbelievable. Yeah. And, and here am I, this little elderly lady writing these letters after letter after letter after letter, pointing out to them the PCR test is flawed. You've gone against the PC, you've gone against the directives of the WHO, have, who have even come out and said you can't use it as a sole diagnostic tool. You keep doing it. Okay. And this refusal is because, because of my legal training, I suppose I put people on notice about their actions. This refusal is at best negligent, but at worst, actually criminal, right? And it's, it's like you're talking to people through a phone. They just don't understand. They're very, what I see is very, like, they're not rocket, it's not rocket science. The PCR test is flawed. And therefore, everything's got to fall down. You can't just say, we, you know, I think it's, Ryan, it's because people, they go into this mindset that says, well, we don't really know how the TPCR test works. We don't know what all this sort of medical, you know, jargon is all about. And, and then they think it's all too hard. Huh. So they don't now. Even some of the lawyers that I spoke have, you know, spoken to. There's no spark of anything in there that could say to you that these people remotely even understand this. They don't even remotely understand PCR tests. See, I made it my business when you start to talk about. It, I thought, right, well, this. I'm going to find out what that is, what they're doing, what's happening, okay? But it's like the lawyers that are involved 
are doing it because they think they might make some money. Uh -huh. Right? Not because, not because that this, someone has to stand up against this. Otherwise, what's the point? You know, if we're not going to stand together now, I was, initially I was right, I, I still do, I write in my letters, but then I, and I was very disappointed because I couldn't find anybody that actually would show an interest in getting involved. And um, so then I came across Concerned Lawyers in Victoria, which is about two, three states away from where I am, and spoke to Maria and said, well, she's written the most incredible letter and it's been delivered to all different parliamentarians, the Prime Minister. Do you know that there's not been one answer to it? Not, not one answer. It's like a big wall of silence. And, and I had a meeting because now I'm sort of working with a couple of the um, political parties. And I said to them, what is this? That they're not answering the letters. They're not even saying anything. Not even what I call government speak, you know, which is rubbish, but at least there's some document. Um, and they say that's how they normally act. And I said, well, what happened to the days when they actually answered you because they're supposed to be your servants? You know, where is it? No, nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing. And that is a, that is a hard a far hard thing for people to understand when I ask them to write letters, do things, do that, but we're not getting any answers. I said, you don't care. We keep the letters. We have them there as evidence that we have done this, we have done this, we have done this. We have, last December, I wrote to the, um, well, I actually wrote to the Attorney General because she's a Queensland, she's in my electorate. And I said to her, well, Shannon, you realise as a lawyer that we have to work on evidence. So I want you to show me what the evidence is as to why you've extended the state of emergency, because I believe that at the very heart of it, that is what's giving them the power to do a lot of things. Okay. And she, she, it was like a hot potato to her. She, she immediately said, oh, no, this is not my area. I have to send it off to the health minister. And then there were no answers. So I used to write. Oh, Shannon, remember I wrote to you on this date and I haven't had a response and I'm writing to you again now. What's happening with the health minister? Why aren't they, wasn't she responding? Because even at that stage, back in December last year, I pointed out, the statistics of the survival rate and that the PCR test is flawed, the whole box and dots, okay? Never got an answer. And then I started to write to all the chief health officers around Australia and do the same thing. Complete. But it's a, you know. Um, and that the refusal for them to stop, is to stop testing is absolutely unbelievable in the face of two WHO directives and our own TGA 
saying they don't know what the PCR test can do, right? They don't know what it can do. But they think it's okay that we should have this incredible situation based on a test that they don't know what it can do. And I wrote, I think, two... um, one, one, the first one was called because Victoria was in a lot worse position than we were in Queensland. I wrote a document called No Case, no case for a State of Emergency in Victoria. Okay? And that set out all the links to the WHO directive, to Ian Eadie's, um paper, to the, um, you know, the study that they did with 10 million people that didn't. Uh, who were asymptomatic, who did not transmit the mm. virus everywhere. And, and so they had all of that, so they could click on them and they could go to those places. And, and that was distributed to all the parliamentarians in Victoria. Then I did another one which just adapted it for Queensland, and that was sent to all the parliamentarians in Queensland. Not one response line, not one parliamentarian, nobody said, well, we've looked at it and you're totally wrong because we'll show you this paper and that paper that says, no, you're wrong about the survival rate. Oh, it's a killer virus. It's going to jump off the toilet seat and kill you. You know, there's nothing like that. And I started to call it the smart virus because they said, gee, this is a very smart virus. It knows whether you're uh, an adult or a child. It knows whether it's day or night. Yeah. It knows how many people are in the room, <laughs> right? And I made a joke because I just couldn't get past that business about people not understanding, not using their thinking brain. Because I'm saying, how could you believe this stuff, right? And they do and they do believe it, and they believe it. I never turn my television on and listen to the news. I haven't done it for years. One of the uh, psychologists whom we interviewed um, in, a, in one of our sessions, which had the title, wie ist der Titel, als wir, den, als wir die Psychologen hatten? How to turn off the fear or something like that. And he said, turn off yeah, the yeah. television. Turn off television and radio, and that'll be, that'll be the yeah. trick. That'll do the trick, more or less. Um, yeah. But, you know, we have the same kinds of responses. If we write letters to the authorities, or there's one journalist in particular who keeps asking in press conferences, he keeps asking the government questions. He never gets an answer. And if he does get an answer, or if we do get an answer, it's boilerplate language with absolutely no meaning. So they're trying to oh, avoid yeah. this issue. Yeah, yeah. I, have a, I have a question, like, what's the, what's the vaccination situation in Australia? Like, do a lot of people get vaccinated? Well, uh, no, because, because our Prime Minister is very sneaky. Um, at the moment, the vaccination situation is there's a lot of vaccine hesitancy. The Prime Minister came out initially with two members of the TGA. Oh, no, it's safe and effective. We, we're not making it mandatory, knowing full well 
the Commonwealth government can't make it mandatory. But he leaves that to the states, right? Uh -huh. They have now made it mandatory for all, and I write to the Chief Health Officer here, um, they have made it mandatory for all people employed by the health department. I don't call it a vaccine, I call it an experimental in injection. And I keep saying, this is an experiment. How can you mandate someone to be part of an experiment? That's the point. Right? And that's the point. Mm -hmm. And I completely, I always use those words to the TGA, this is an experiment. And how, and what are you doing? My next letter is going to be to the top. I found out who the top of the trees in the TGA and it's Professor Skerritt or someone. And I will be writing to him and saying, what are you doing? Because you are now complicit in all of this because you know people are dying all over the place and being injured. So what is actually happening? Because you know what? We done, I think someone's done a freedom of information where they asked the TGA at what point, how many deaths will it take before you call a halt? And they've got no plan for that right now. They came back to say, oh, we've got no plan. This is the same everywhere. We just listened to a tape this morning and we have uh, pretty, pretty concrete figures from other countries, not just Germany, but uh, the United States and yeah. um, and Israel. And uh, there's a um, this issue has entered the mainstream media, but only in the United States. Uh, there is a uh, reporter by the name of Tucker Carlson. He mentioned it in uh, on Fox News. Oh, yeah, I'm listening to him, yeah. And he said, on yeah. average, 30 people a day are dying after getting vaccinated, which is huge. And he says over the first 40, yeah, four, 30 people a day. And he also, he added that um, over the first four months of this year, P, uh, the, uh, uh, fatal adverse reactions to this or to these three vaccines um, are already now higher than adverse uh, reported to the VAERS, which is a register where people um, report the yes, adverse reactions. Yeah, most most of this is from the United States, all of it. Um, you, and you might know about a study saying that uh, the reported cases uh, into the WARES CDC system is less than 1% of all the cases. Yeah, yeah. well, there's another yeah. doctor yeah. from Houston. His name is Dr. Hotsey, and he said uh, the reported cases is probably no more than 10%. Now, you're saying 1%. That may very well be possible because maybe on average it's 10%, but during this so-called pandemic, of course, there's so yeah. much pressure yeah. that maybe it's only 1%. I agree. And what, what's happening in Australia, you know how in, in America they've got theirs and in Europe they've got some other system, right? But in Australia, they're not even reporting them. They're not even telling us. They are hiding that information. The TGA is supposed to have it on their website. No, it's nowhere to be seen. Now, the problem, the thing is that because in, in Australia there's no... Um, the person that's going to be responsible for the for the damage that is done to people will be the Commonwealth government. And 
because they've stood behind the vaccine companies and because the vaccine companies have no liability whatsoever and they never have, you know, from 1986 in America. And, and nobody's cared. But now I think that what's happening, they are occasionally reporting the, the odd death on, in the media. However, get this, oh, you know, people are developing blood clots. Oh, no, it can't be the back. Oh, no, it's, it's coincidental. Well, why is it coincidental with the, the two vaccines that we're using that they're getting blood clots? Don't you think that's a bit odd? Oh, no, we'll keep going, we'll keep going. And, um, and it's just outrageous. Even people that I are saying, well, that can't be right. People aren't getting hurt by this, right? And I don't know, what's your situation in Germany? Do they have to be, have this jab or what? What do you mean? Do they have to have the... I, I didn't hear you. Oh, okay. Do, is it mandatory in Germany for them to have this jab, this um, injection? No. No, not no. yet. They're, of course, they're pushing the envelope, uh, just like everywhere oh, else. Yes. But uh, well, they... well, now we've got... Any new person coming into our defence forces, it's been written in already into the vaccination and into the, vac into the army vaccine, navy and whatever mm -hmm. handbook. Mm -hmm. They have to have that. They have to have it in preparation for readiness to be posted wherever. No, they have to have it. And in so many ways, what they've done is very sneaky because they've got around that business about the Prime Minister rushing around saying, mm -hmm. oh, no, it's completely mandatory. You don't have to have the vaccine. In Europe, we have, a, we have a resolution of Parliamentary Assembly of Council of Europe, number 2361, stating that no one shall be discriminated against yeah. for not having been vaccinated due to possible health risks or not wanting, wanting to be vaccinated. It's totally outrageous because when you think about the concept of it, why are these people, like who are not my doctor, saying you have to have this, it's good for you? <laughs> they know. No. Um, this, I mean, what what's happening right now if you take a closer look and you don't even have to take a closer look is ob quite obviously that the other side is trying to get rid of the rule of law and thereby get rid of democracy so uh that's yeah. that's why they think they can do what they want they can do as they please and write these mandatory vaccinations at least for military personnel healthcare personnel into their respective codes but yeah. and uh, now the yeah, and the people who work in the quarantine yeah. hotels, they now have to have them all, yes. Mm. And they don't want, a lot of people do not want to have them because a lot of people have suffered like massive, even side, like even though they're not, well, at this stage, we don't know what's going to happen, but mm. they're not, the, look as though these sort of massive headaches and things like that, and they said, oh, no, I'm not going to have the second shot because if that's how I am with the first one. Mm. Now, but it's, 
they have overridden our right to, I say to people, the first human right I've got is that I am entitled to live. So that means if I am, I'm not going to put anything in, into my body or do anything that may prevent that from happening. Mm -hmm. Because the thing is, I don't know how it's going to be. I don't know what reaction I would have, right? So I'm not going to do it. That's it, finished. Now, people don't, un see, because we've never been ra raised, like, with the idea that we've got any human rights. We don't understand that concept. People don't understand it. So they willingly went along with this thing where I used to say, well, you're just giving away your human rights, right? And then you won't give them back. They're not going to give them back easily. You've just given them over, right? We've given our rights over to the doctors. Well, I haven't, but most people have because it's whatever the doctor says. And I say, no, I have to have more evidence than that. It's not whatever the doctor says. You know, how many deaths are there every year from doctors misdiagnosing, giving people the wrong medication and, and surgical accidents? Mm -hmm. What? That's a crazy, it's crazy. It's, it's, um, complete, you know, it's complete insanity. It's complete insanity. You know, what's going to happen is probably that uh, someone else <clears throat> is going to have to take the lead here because uh, quite obviously Australia won't. Uh, but one of the other countries is going to come in and, and help you out because whatever happens in the other legal systems will have ramifications and implications in, in Australia as well. That's why I think this is so important to have this international um, uh, connection of lawyers. Yeah. Okay, let, let's because see, maybe, maybe uh, because I think we're running a little late and yeah, we should, oh. you know, because we have uh, quite a few. You're a, lot, you're a lot late letting me in, yeah. Um, now, what I've got to say is that, that I have connected up with a couple of the, um, a couple of the political parties here. Uh -huh. One is about giving, it's um, a party to do with their standing for the fact that everyone has the right to give informed consent. Um, and the other is what the One Nation Party who don't agree with this to an extent. Now, I met with Senator Roberts the other day and basically we are crafting some questions to be asked in Parliament um, as part of that process. And of the other two, I'm trying to get people who are willing um, to become, um, to take on the challenge of, of saying, well, you're not, you can't do these states of emergency and things like that. So, yeah. um, so there's that movement there, but it's me, it's only me doing this well. and saying who can, who can look, well, you know, I don't know whether I can put on my superwoman cape <laughs> and fly off and, and, you know, but this is like, what am I trying to do here? Well, you know, you're doing the right thing, Ellie, and someone's got to do the job. Someone's got to do the job. Yeah. It doesn't make a difference who it is as long as it's done. And everything yeah. will make a difference. I'm absolutely certain about this because we're all interconnected. Well, keep, yeah, we are. And I just, Rhino, I keep repeating every letter I do, it says the same thing. The PCR test is flawed. Great. Right? 
Great. And basically, and 99% of people, 65 and under survive the virus. So why are all these people now, why are we giving it to children? Yeah. Why are we going to give them this thing? You know, two minutes after they struggle to get out of the birth canal and be born, we're going to inject them with something toxic, right? This will stop, I mean, Ellie. It will stop. It will stop. It can happen any day. I think we. Um, I think we have to now turn to um, to um, Peter Weiss from um, Slovakia. Yeah, I, uh, we you know, because we there are quite a few people that we now have to talk to. We're running. And, we're and running a little late, late right now. So I know you're running late. So yeah, I apologize so for for cutting you off, but I'm not really cutting you off. We'll be in touch anyway. Okay. okay. Ellie, thank you very much. Thanks so much. That's okay. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Let's see. Um, now, now we're going to turn to Peter from Slovakia. Yes. Hello, everybody. You hear me? Yes, Hello, we can you. hear you. Hello. <laughs> oh, I've got to mute myself just a minute. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Okay. Tell us what's going on in Slovakia, Peter. Yeah. Yeah. What is the situation here? It's it's uh, almost the same, but I think we are doing a little bit better because we do not have so many policemen available <laughs> to enforce uh, the bylaws. So, of course, there is no rule of law here. So, mm -hmm. uh, on 19th of January, just for example, uh, 2021, um, an open letter of Slovak lawyers protesting against the continuous violation of the rule of law principle was uh, published. Um, there are currently around 430, 450 signatures of both emeritus and current judges, including judges of the Supreme Court, for example, and the former vice president of the Constitutional Court, wow. as well as current member of the Judicial Council of the Slovak Republic. And the letter has been supported till today by signatures of uh, not only over 120 judges, but also like more than 230 attorneys, including a former agent of the government before the European Court of Human Rights. Um, the open letter is a reaction to systemic violation of rule of law principles. Lawyers here in Slovakia have been publicly communicating their objections to the violation of these principles through articles, expert uh, opinions, blogs, um, and um, let's say a group of judges um, also written an open letter for the preservation of democracy and the rule of law in Slovak Republic. However, the expected reaction of competent authorities, at least in a form of, let's say, professional public discussion, did not occur. So on the contrary, the answer is just silence. It's pure silence. In some cases, even it is like intimidation or personal invectives. So you might know about the Venice Commission. The Venice Commission recommends that the constitutional changes should not be adopted during the state of emergency. Here in Slovakia, these recommendations are ignored. And the extent of violation of the rule of law is extremely high. Publicly presented requests from several experts from major constitutional changes to be discussed in advance with the Venice Commissions have gone unnoticed. 
So representatives uh, of the executive power here in Slovak Republic and the constitutional majority of the parliament grossly violate the obligations arising from membership of the Slovak Republic, its bodies and representatives in the Council of Europe and the European Union. So this is the situation uh, here and, and the action of, of, the, of the lawyers, but we have many more, I can tell you, if you're interested. So I have a question. Are there any legal legal suits going on? Yes, yes, many, many, many. I will I will tell you what's mm -hmm. going on. Uh, in December 2020, Parliament banned the Constitutional Court of the Slovak Republic from reviewing the compliance of constitutional laws with the substantive core of the Constitution without proper expert discussion. And um, despite the express disapproval of the president of the Constitutional Court, of course. Um, in this way, uh, the government coalition has increased its legislative power by removing the main check on the part of the judiciary that could control it. And simultaneously, with the weakening of the competence of the Constitutional Court of the Slovak Republic, the parliament adopted a constitutional law that allowed it to extend a state of emergency indefinitely. I don't know how it is there, but here indefinitely. It was uh, before it, it was not not so. Uh, so so if the, it, it works like that, if the government asks parliament every 40 days to approve an extension to be granted within 20 days, it's approved and it yeah, goes. You know what? This is what happened here too. The, yeah, it's, so, the, it's the government that took over and is trying to get rid of the, um, of the judiciary. Yeah, and moreover, uh, in 2020, in the end of the year, more than 60 laws were passed through simplified procedure, hmm. just because of the related to the pandemic, right, to, the, to, the, to the pandemic situation. Hmm. And mostly they did not have anything to do with the pandemic. Hmm. So, you know, it's, it's unjustified, illogical and contradictory. Um, and disproportionate human rights violation and they, they often occur uh, during the adoption of anti-epidemic measures so the public and the, and the public authorities concerned are, are informed very late while the ones responsible for for these actions uh, do not take into account the warnings and opinions of relevant professional chambers so including slovak medical chambers for instance mm -hmm. so you know so serious and, and massive human rights violations do not occur through the law, but through hybrid acts, bylaws of the public health, health office. I don't know how it is there, but this is how it works. They have omnipotent uh, legal competence, not only, yeah. <laughs> not, not only in, in the scope of, of, uh, of uh, health care, of, of the public health. So, and this competence is being disputed already at the, the Constitutional Court. The European Court uh, notified already the Slovak uh, government uh, um, the application of the, the applications of owners uh, of businesses mm. like fitness centers, which were closed by virtue of a series of measures taken by the public health authority from, uh, I suppose, March until June 2020. Mm -hmm. So this is already notified. After the Constitutional Court's verdict um, that these hybrid acts could be reviewed only by the administrative courts. The government amended the law, transforming them to general binding acts, clearly with the aim to avoid the possibility of their judicial review. Crazy. This is clear from the government's reply 
addressed to the administrative courts in relations to in relation to, to the claims concerning anti-epidemic measures. So this is how what, what's going on in Slovakia. And so, um, let me continue with the, with the RT-PCR tests. Uh, what's going on in October uh, last year? RT-PCR QRT-PCR tests showed slight increase in positive in positive results. At that time, not many cared about the cycle threshold or primers or whatever. And uh, mass media started to interpret uh, these as infectious cases, even after so-called Corman Justin review was published in November mm -hmm. 2020, I suppose. Mm -hmm. yeah. so since then, all main news in, and, and mass media um, on everyday basis has been since informing only on COVID infections, not positive cases, infections, new mutations, deaths, spreading fear among the population, showing a sign of coordinated approach. This is what I think. Yeah. Yeah. Why? So, not just with us. No, yeah. No, this is how it, how it goes here. But as, as I said, we don't have enough policemen. They already added army to the policemen because, because uh, people uh, uh, outside do not follow. Mm -hmm. So, so they they added uh, the, uh, the army members. Okay. So, but how does that? How was the public's reaction to this? Because here in Germany, there's been talk about the army uh, taking over some of the police work, but apparently they don't dare do it because thus far the general public here will not will not tolerate that. How how is the situation in Slovakia? Uh, we challenged uh, this issue at the International Criminal Court, as you might know. So, because because the mass testing that was performed in Slovak Republic was also a military operation mm -hmm. and illegal military operation because it was not ordered by President of Slovak Republic in the time of peace. So. Let me let me tell you about the, the mass testing. If you don't know, our prime minister decided to fight the the RT-PCR results, not the pandemic, by introducing antigen testing of whole population of Slovak Republic. He promised it would be only once, and he called the testing an atomic bomb, and so it was. The PCR tests showed uh, after a period of 10 to 14 days, what they call incubation period a further massive increase in active cases. Mm -hmm. So it was, yes, atomic bomb, the opposite direction. People got probably sick by mass queuing for hours outside in a freezing weather conditions to get tested. They, they, they lied to, to, to the people. Since then, they have been conducting mass testing on a regular basis because the cases went always up. They called it voluntary. But, you know, if you did not attend you were sanctioned or fined or persecuted. Well, so that's, that's, you could, pretty, that's pretty voluntary then, yeah. Yes, yes, of course, yes. You could not enter buildings. Mm -hmm. You could buy only basic stuff like food mm -hmm. only at the closest store. Mm -hmm. You were banned from getting basic or specialized healthcare. Mm -hmm. Even basic, yes. Yes, that's what they're trying to do. That's what they tried to do here too. But there must have been an outcry among the population, or was there? Oh, we are, yes, there was. On the 17th of November, we, we had a we had a quite big protest 
and there are some smaller protests uh, since, but nothing, nothing really, really big. Um, well, <laughs> we have some feelings to the European Court of uh, Human Rights. This is the only way we, we could fight this, mm -hmm. and the uh, International Court of uh, Criminal Court in in Hague. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, I have already sent you the the, the, uh, the feeling. Yeah, I read it and I forwarded it. Yes. Yeah, the experience was breaking the Nuremberg Code, mm -hmm. um, and the experience was totally unnecessary. It seems to me like uh, it was performed and still lasts based on economic reasons of various businessmen only. Mm -hmm. It might be considered spending money on useless antigen tests only. Absolutely. It is crystal clear that the, the prevalence of, of the tested illness dramatically rose after 10 to 14 days after each testing. And they presented it vice versa, mm -hmm. the opposite way. And they published it in Science and Medarchy. So regular testing, like, you know, the nasopharynx testing, the, the, the long stick mm -hmm. every week causes physical and psychical damages like nosebleeds, local pains, headaches and other injuries. We have uh, already more than 130 to 140 uh, witness, witnesses ready with the stories for the hack. So yeah, we, we, we'll spoke, we spoke to several doctors. One of them uh, specializes in... Uh, uh, he's a specialist for, th yeah. uh, what's it called? Nose, uh, yeah, and nose, throat, throat etc. And he explained in detail how this amounts definitely amounts to battery, because it's not yeah. it's a it's an invasive technique, and in many cases you simply um, you simply um you're using what does he call i think he called it a mini something but it's being used to collect samples which can only be removed from your body by um by injuring it even if it's only a slight injury it's an injury and in many cases you have nose bleeding in that and all that so this is something that you cannot really um, at least that's what I think, you cannot really consent to on behalf of your children. Under normal circumstances, a family court would step in and prohibit parents from doing this to their children. But circumstances are not normal. Right now, it's the opposite. It's, it's like you go, to, you go to a family court, and as a parent of a child, you complain that you think that this is not good for your child, Normally, this um, judge will then take a look at the evidence, maybe even, you, you may have heard about the Weimar decision, maybe even uh, look at some expert evidence. But now, in many cases, these um, judges will simply turn around and say, ah, no, this is not so bad. But uh, it looks as though maybe you're not capable of taking good enough care of your child. So they kind of turn this thing around. However, there is a backlash forming right now. And many people are completely, not just completely unhappy, but extremely angry. So I don't think this is going to last much longer. Oh, yeah, it's, 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 it's probably in the end in Slovakia because uh, they already got some other nasopharynx uh, sticks here in Slovakia from the European Union. But after people getting angry, uh, they just, it's, 
they just change it they, they yeah. just change it they just like like cut it and they are using uh, them not as another pharynx uh, sticks but uh, as a nas na nasal mm -hmm. sticks so it, but they just you know it's it's like a it's like um just just changing the papers mm -hmm. you know why they couldn't do it before mm -hmm. they just and got too many just trying to out how far they can go you yeah. know yeah, like yeah. they always... see it as like uh, you know the people f are fighting back or getting angry or whatever don't want to take it anymore then they kind of withdraw a little bit and maybe later on they're going to reintroduce it where if the next mutation comes along or something like that i think it's it's it seems very orchestrated yeah that's why that's why the group of lawyers here we also plan to challenge uh, at the international criminal court mass mandates and experimental vaccines <laughs> where Slovakia is a reference country in the third stage of testing. So we are almost like Israel. Mm -hmm. Nobody knows. Mm -hmm. So, so and, and we have constituted an alternative expert committee, uh, which serves as, let's say, fact checker yeah. to, <laughs> to official false narrative. Yeah. Now consisting of up to 100 scientists, medics, you know, journalists, lawyers, mm -hmm. uh, economists, teachers and activists and many others. So, you know, um, for, uh, regarding the RT-PCR tests, I don't know what are the numbers there in your country, but I have fresh information from the ministry um, saying that, that we are still using unbelievable 40 to 50 cycles, I mean, the cycle thresholds. Incredible. Incredible. That's yes, insanity. That, that, makes, that makes a shiny golden standard of the PCR only a gold mine for the sellers of the tests. Yeah. They're, they're simply useless. Yeah. We, we know we, we are using the, the, we are challenging the RT-PCR tests. Uh, and also, also not only this, but also asymptomatic and presymptomatic cases and uh, lack of isolation of the pathogen. Yeah. So this is, uh, what we, this is what we do here and waiting for the results. And there are some judges already that that uh, think, but but without without the cases, without the, the resolutions mm. in the cases, but they are judges that that uh, think we are right. So that's good. So you, there are some judges left who are independent enough to take a real look at the evidence, right? Yeah, yeah. The, the problem is that uh, the the administrative, I mean, the, the power, the executive power in Slovakia is doing a big mistake by persecuting judges. Oh. You know, they, they don't follow the mass mandate, they are persecuted, and then, then they are uh, exposed in mass media. This is the problem, because you, those the are... Judges? The judges the are judges. being exposed in the mass media? Yes, this ah. is what's going on in Slovakia. I know about two of them. So, you know, you know, you know what, what it would start. So this is this is really bad for the for the executive. Yeah, but you so, know, Michael, this too is part of the lockstep approach because, as you've probably heard, the same thing is happening in this country, except yeah. that they're um, that they're realizing now that they've probably gone too far. So things are about to change because what we have to do, and this is what Tony Roman told us about, we cannot give them an inch. We have to fight them as hard as we can. That's the only way to do it, in the courts, outside of the courts. We have to go after them. Yeah, uh, the, the problem is also asymptomatic and presymptomatic cases because people are getting vaccinated. Yeah, 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 it changes a little bit 
people people who are as i think ellie dillman uh pointed this out um 99.9 something percent of the population has absolutely no problem with this so the vulnerable part of the population which is the over i don't know 78 or 80 year age group that should be protected and maybe vaccinated but with a real vaccine not with an experimental gene uh, uh therapy which is what's happening right now so i do think things are changing maybe for for some people it's going to be too late it's probably going to be too late for some people maybe for a lot of people but things are definitely changing and we have to keep fighting that's what yeah, what i learned from tony positive signals here yeah, yes mm. yes like like um um relevant authorities are willing to protect the rule of law yeah they started to, you know do you know the pareto principle yeah so the the, the mass is growing in slovakia so we have already a, a protest of the general pro prosecutor very killing good the, very the constitutional good. court against the bylaws as a system uh -huh. so and in spending they already had to had to um, give us a result is there already for 60 days mm -hmm. they had to give us the answer within five or seven but it's still there yeah well like, you can see that this is their weak spot if you go after the real evidence like ellie said that they have been writing letters to the authorities asking them where is your factual foundation where is the evidence for this so-called pandemic they never got an answer but if you go after the real evidence in the courts of law that's what makes them really really nervous so we can only hope that there are a few lawyers i mean a few judges out there of course a few lawyers as well uh, who are going to follow up on this and who will not cave in and i'm pretty optimistic that they're more than just a few judges. Some of them haven't quite made it out into the open, but more and more of them are coming out, even here in Germany. Michael, we have, I don't want to cut you off, but we're running so far behind. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, Peter, yeah. Um, yeah, so this is it, yeah. Unless there's something that we missed. No, no, thank you. Thank you very much for the invitation. Thank okay, you. thank you very much. We'll be in touch. All of all of us, the entire group of international lawyers is is in touch and will be will will keep in touch because this is I mentioned this a little while earlier. Um, uh, it was a suggestion by um, by our French colleague Jean-Luc Duhamel. He said we've got to come up with an archive, computer-based archive, with all the positive decisions that were. Um, that were um, decided by any of uh, by any court anywhere, plus an archive with all the people's actions who we're going to have to go after when this is over, so that they will all know that there is no uh, we're not going to just sit back and relax when this is over, but we're going to then. Um, step this thing up and then we're going to go into the civil and criminal legal systems in order to make hold them all responsible in such a case i would recommend the, the constitutional court decision in czech republic it's very good is it can you mail yeah. it to can you mail it sure. to us sure. Sure. okay great very good. great no all right well peter thank you so much thank you so much for being with us thank you bye-bye yeah bye-bye um, Michael, can you hear us? Michael? Yes, I can very well. Okay, Hi. excellent. So we've, we've heard horror stories from Belgium 
is it as bad as it sounds or is it better now? Well, we are the company that's the country with the most sheeps in the world, in fact. Uh -huh. We are very sheepy. Um, we are a country with about 80% uh, of people following up what the, the government wants to do. So we're the opposite of our good friend Tony, who does a marvelous job in the United States. So uh, maybe, Rainer, because it's the first time that I think we are talking, so I, maybe I have to introduce myself a little bit. Mm -hmm. People know uh, who I am. So I'm an attorney for 30 years in Belgium, and um, I have also an MBA in a business school. And in fact, before the crisis started, I was writing a doctorate on the way companies and, and organizations fail, which behavior leads to failing of organizations. So, um, and in that, in that doctorate, I'm working out six scenarios, failing scenarios. And uh, suddenly I saw one of my failing scenarios uh, deploying before my eyes, namely in the COVID crisis. Um, and it's a scenario that is uh, in fact very similar to the banking crisis mm -hmm. uh, in a way of behavior. Uh, to, to make this very short, um, organizations fail when they use standardized simplified uh, methods mm -hmm. in a very complex environment mm -hmm. so if and that's what the banks did they were uh, in a very complex economic environment they took the idea that uh, housing prices would always go up and interest rates would go down that's not 100% okay, but housing prices anyway would go up. Mm -hmm. And suddenly we were in a situation where the opposite was true and housing prices went down. Mm -hmm. So that made a very big uh, collapse in the system. I mean, all parts the financial crisis afterwards. Same you see in uh, things like Fukushima, where companies, in, uh, in electric companies in, in Japan, they didn't take into account the fact that there could be uh, namely in Japan then, a tsunami which could uh, uh, ruin the, 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 the Fukushima uh, nuclear installations. Same goes for BP in the British Gulf, who was using very simple techniques to control the deepwater horizon with the oil rig and the, the leak. Uh, this, this, the same system is there that, that is there that we see in the behavior of these organizations and companies. And this is what we see here too. So we see that uh, in a very complex environment of a virus, people think that they can control this virus by very simple means, standardized procedures, which are rolled out all over the world uh, with a central uh, um, uh, idea of, of uh, advising. And that's also a big problem that we saw in the banking crisis. The, the consultants and the advisors of international organizations like the WHO, but also uh, individual countries, are in fact very much centralized in, um, with a few people uh, uh, who are introducing these, uh, these, uh, these consultants and these consultancy techniques. And they're also supported by, you know that, by, by uh, people like uh, Bill Gates, who give money to support these kinds of um, consultancy, these kinds of uh, 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 inquiries and, and studies. And this way we get, in fact, all over the world, one and the same system as with the banking crisis. So I was, I was, I was falling into this and I said, okay, I have no choice. This is my, my, my subject. I have to study what is happening here. Mm 
And in this way, I was um, uh, making very soon in the crisis in March uh, 2020 already my own mathematical system to see how this uh, this um, uh, thing would behave. And immediately I saw after a few weeks already that these mathematical, mathematical uh, models that we are making, they are completely useless because when something happens that you don't uh, take in account, uh, you can throw away your mathematical system. So in these kinds of environments, uh, for instance, there is a very interesting professor in the United States, Carol Weick, who writes about how to deal with uh, uncertainty. Uh, and that's completely uh, listed, in fact, techniques, what you need to do if you want to manage uncertain situations. And you can see that if you compare what he writes to what we did in the crisis, that in fact, we did completely the opposite of everything that he writes about. Uh, one of the things that Carol Weick is writing about is that you always need to have a plan B. Now, I invite you to look at all these countries who are now vaccinating, what the plan B of these countries is. They don't have any plan B. You also need to uh, listen to people who are acting against what you're doing. Uh, your opposition is very important because it's probably so that your model is not working, that your model will be failing, and that these people who are against your model have, uh, are saying some right things. So you need to, 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 to listen to these people and you need always to take into account that your models are not working. And that's exactly what we didn't do. Now, so I started to, to proceed also against the Belgian government and we are doing now a few procedures, which is quite hard because our magistrates, they are not very willing to, um, to come into the subjects of uh, science and to see what these scientists are writing. In fact, even if they say today, a and the second day they say minus A, they even don't come into that subject. So it's quite difficult also in Belgium to do that. We have discussions about the constitutionality and also the, the, the problem with uh, the articles 8, 11 uh, and some other articles of the European Convention on Human Rights, which demands that regulation should be predictable and uh, enough clear to be applied in this matter, which is not a fact in Belgium. Uh, we are discussing about that. There are some other issues, but uh, I will have no time to, to go all into these details. But I can uh, tell you that already eight months ago, I went to the European Court of Human Rights for the case. Mm -hmm. And I was dismissed immediately. Okay. I even take it to the Great Chamber. Immediately, I, I, I send them 3,000 pages of studies and all kinds of argumentations. And they immediately dismissed me. For them, it's very clear that this thing is um, not against what they do is not against European Treaty on Human Rights. This is perfectly okay because they are protecting lives. So that's what what we are facing. Don't think that we will win a case in the European uh, Court of Human Rights. We will lose it. I I think I've heard this before, and I think you're probably right because that's what we've been hearing not just concerning the uh, European Court for Human Rights, but also concerning the International Criminal Court and basically all of the global courts. Um, because there is, I think they're all biased because people with lots of money, including George Soros, including Bill Gates, have stacked these courts with their own people. Of course, not 100% of the judges who are in there are sponsored by uh, George Soros and Bill Gates, but 
they, I, I, there's pretty concrete estimates that are saying about 20% of the people, and that's quite a lot. Maybe that explains why your case was dismissed immediately, because it's so obvious that that is wrong. Uh, but our friend Michael Swinwood from Canada, who is going to return from, to Canada from Peru this weekend, he says, this is what's happening all over the world. The, what they call the precautionary principle is being used to stand everything on its head and to argue, yeah, okay, maybe you're right. Maybe the PCR test can't tell you anything about infections, but the situation is dangerous. That's the precautionary principle. We have to use something, even if it doesn't make any sense. Exactly what you're saying is right. I have no idea about the the the, the payments to to people in the in the European Court of Human Rights. I, I, I'm not sure. I, I don't I don't have any information. I just tell you my experience in this in this matter. Uh, but what you just said about the PCR tests, it's right, and this is one of the reasons why I don't put much efforts in these PCR tests. Of course, it was one of your questions to know why some lawyers don't do this. Because from the beginning, in fact, from April 2020 already, our scientists in Belgium say that this, uh, this PCR tests have big flaws, that they have uh, sometimes 70%, uh, uh, they're wrong for more than 70%. But the strange thing is that even when they have so, such a big um, uh, rate of, of, of failure, even then they say this is the best thing we can use. Hmm. Uh, I was that's, how they, that's how they um, dismissed the case in New York, with exactly that argument. We don't have anything else. It's the best we have. Well, if it doesn't tell you anything about infections, what is there about this thing that's being the best that they have? It's, it's obviously misleading, but what route do you take if you don't attack this? In fact, it's even worse. In April 2020, already last year, I wrote to the president of one of the parties who is in the government in Belgium, and whom I knew a little bit good, uh, and knew, I say knew because he doesn't talk to me anymore. Um, the, I wrote him a mail and I said, how is it possible that you are um, making cohorts, so you, you're se separating people in elderly homes based on PCR tests, while you know that these PCR tests are not working. It means that you put patients who are in fact ill with patients who are not ill because you don't know that they are ill because it was a wrong test. So you're killing people in these elderly homes. And as you know, Reiner, you are the world champion in killing old people in, in Belgium. We have uh, more double uh, infections in our elderly homes than in all the rest of society. Mm. And uh, two thirds of the people who died in Belgium are died are uh, people who are living in elderly homes, two thirds, more than 12,000. Uh, and uh, these people, they, they are, are killed because they're sitting all together with the windows closed. Because you know that uh, in Belgium we had the idea that we had to close all windows and doors because otherwise this virus could come and crawl into the into the, yes. So th that's that's a general idea. So these people are killed there. Uh, they they are one percent of population, but in this one percent of population, we had two thirds of our deaths in Belgium. So that's quite dramatically. We we really kill this, and we have also uh, even reports from uh, Amnesty Interna International and international NGOs, um, uh, Doctors Without Frontiers, and so on, who made reports with with cruel activities in our elderly homes, which are really. Uh, 
too, too bad to, to, to imagine uh, people who are just locked up in their rooms and injected with uh, morphine to be uh, sooner dead in such a way that uh, they, they, they don't need any food and any treatments. This is something that happened in Belgium. Uh, and uh, But we have reports about that. If you want, I can send them to you. They are very detailed, even the governmental reports on this uh, massacre in the, in the elderly homes in Belgium. So that's, that's a, a terrible situation. Um, now, the way, what, what I'm mostly thinking about is how can we stop this, this idiocy? Um, and that's, that's quite difficult. So what I did in, in June 2020, I uh, set up uh, an NGO, local NGO, Virus uh, Wahnsinn. It's like in, in Holland because I have a lot of contacts with, uh, with Willem and, uh, and Jeroen, uh, whom I know very well. Um, so this, this we, said, we took also the name of Virus Wahnsinn and we started with that. In the meanwhile, last month, we created a new party, political party in Belgium. Um, we have at the moment 11, about 11,000 members in our NGO. Uh, and the political party is growing to 1,000 and is uh, just busy, busy for one month. So it's, it's growing and we are, see, we are looking to, to do this. But there is a very big nervosity with the other parties at the moment because they see us coming. Uh, and we know that when the law was voted in, um, in, in, the, in the parliament, uh, these parliamentary, uh, sorry, these people in parliament, members of parliament, they got more than 50 males emails per hour from our people who were sending massively emails to them to protest against the law on uh, on this uh, pandemic this pandemic law that they were voting so there was a very big fuzz in the parliament that uh, people are very much against this and we know that uh, a lot of people are now supporting us more and more mm. and um, so we, we 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 think to to try to push politicians in such a way because there is only two there are two only two ways that we will succeed or these decisions are turned by magistrates, or they are turned by the politicians. Mm -hmm. So we have only two ways. There is, there is no other way to do this. Uh, mm -hmm. the decisions are made by or politicians or magistrates. So we're trying to do it with, with these procedures, but I must say, I, I don't have much hope. You say that some law, uh, judges are turning. We know that also from inside that judges are turning. But the problem is that after we have a judgment, because we, we had already some good judgments, so I'm not going into details because it will bring us too far. But what we see is that the government doesn't execute the judgments. Yeah. Yes. So they say, oh, there is now a good judgment between the League um, of Human Rights, who is in fact not against the measures, they're in favor of the measures. In Belgium, they think they're for our safety very well, the League of Human Rights. So we, we called them in an article a few days ago, the League Against Human Rights. Uh, they're not very happy with that, but I don't care, I don't give a damn. Uh, so they, they got uh, our message, it's very clear. Now they have a positive judgment that says that these... Uh, regulations are unlawful. But since the judges cannot make decisions which are in the, in the public interest, they can only make decisions in the individual interests of a person, mm -hmm. the judge, judgments, they say that they are not usable outside the parties of, in, the, in, the, in the procedure. Mm -hmm. So this means that people cannot use this judgment to say that things are illegal because of the fact that they are not a party in the procedure. Yeah, yeah, same here in Germany, by the way. Now, what I did is, this, this procedure is now in appeal, mm -hmm. and it's based on the idea that this, this, uh, human, uh, this League of Human Rights can do this procedure based on a collective interest. So the interest is a collective interest, 
but the effect of the judgment is limited to the parties. Mm -hmm. So what it is, I did is I intervened in this procedure myself, not for a client, me, myself, and I. It's a French procedure, and uh, I asked a French lawyer who specialized in this matter to, to be my lawyer, and he did. So we intervened, and now the, the League and the government are all uh, are both very angry, because if this judgment is confirmed, I will be the only Belgian who will be free of the measures, mm -hmm. because I will be a party in, the, in, this, in this procedure. So that will be a big Belgian joke, and you know that we like very much absurdities in Belgium. We are we are big um, specialists in absurd situations. So I will be the, the the only Belgian who will be free of measures. But still, it will we set a precedent. Of course, it will set a precedent, but it, it will also show how ridiculous this is. Yes, we will have a decision which will say to the, to the to the League of Human Rights, yes, there is no legal ground of these these measures. Okay, that's the decision which is in the in interest of everybody, in the common interest. But then there will be only one man, me, mm -hmm. who will be free from these measures. So this will be so ridiculous that I hope that in this way we can awaken the press because we have a very big problem to 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 get our voice heard in the press. Mm -hmm. They're still completely in this indoctrination. Uh, yeah. This. Uh, but I must say it's changing a little bit. Uh, next weekend or the weekend after, we expect that there will be a very big article about us and some other guys working uh, against the measures in Belgium, uh, in the in one of the premium uh, newspapers in Belgium. Mm -hmm. And there are a few a few journalists who are even turning at the moment uh, very hard. Mm -hmm. so, but but anyway, if I'm the only Belgian who will be free of all measures, this will be news. They can, it can it cannot be that this is no news. And so that's when, what we do. when do you expect this ruling to come out? Uh, within the month. Ah, and what um, what is your line of attack? On what basis are you attacking here? The fact that the the, the legislation. In fact, there are two bases. The fact that the legislation is not clearly enough and not predictable enough. Okay. Mm -hmm. To be uh, to be used as legal grounds for the measures. You know, Article Eight. The, the 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 condition that you must have a law which provi provides the measures huh? uh, okay it has to be a clear law which makes it the the, the, mm -hmm. the, the predictable you know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah secondly the proportionality mm -hmm. uh, the figures and the figures are really in belgium stunning you must know that in belgium we don't have any uh, sur uh, mortality anymore since uh, december mm -hmm. so there are no there's no excess Excessivity of people. How do you say this? No uh, excess death. No excess mortality. No excess mortality. That's the word. Yes, exactly. So we don't have that anymore. Secondly, uh, we are, by Belgian law, under the epidemic uh, line. There is a limit how many people need to go to the doctor when there is an epidemic. We don't have that anymore. Um, we have hospital admissions which are one third of the year 2019, <laughs> but still we are under measures. Mm -hmm. The problem is that these viral logs, they are cherry picking and they only communicate to the press mm -hmm. these uh, indicators which are not so good. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of people in intensive care. Okay, now it's going down, but we had about 950, which is much for Belgium. Um, but the problem is that in the pandemic plan of 2009, 
Belgium said that they will not invest in the um, increasing of capacity, also sure not flexible increasing of capacity of uh, intensive care, because that's too costly and it's cheaper to uh, try to avoid to get infections. So this is what we do, which is decided in 2009. Uh, we try to uh, uh, to control the virus in a cheap way, yeah. which is quite funny because it's more costly than uh, than ever. So uh, this is a bit also a stupidity. And the strange thing is that in, our, in Belgium, our hospitals, they believe in these crazy measures. Now, we know, me and you and everybody on the table know that at the moment uh, there is a, 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 um, due to the fact that we have the figures now from Ioannidis and others, uh, also Toussaint, there are very interesting studies that, that prove that the measures don't work, uh, but still everybody believes in it. So that's a very strange situation. Also, doctors believe in it. Now, what we see in this, uh, in this, uh, in this uh, community of doctors is very interesting. They get their information in the newspapers. They don't read scientific articles, <laughs> they just read the newspapers. Same here so, in Germany. Same in Germany, I'm, I'm yeah, sure yeah. about it. Yeah, this, is, this is, Michael, this is a lockstep approach. It's, they are using the same techniques everywhere. And they're, yes. I mean, in, in some details, maybe they adjust to a to an individual population i don't know about that but basically they're using the same approach everywhere i was going to ask you something do you think that what the government is doing and what the uh, medical community is doing is 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 done in good faith yes you think so yes i think so yes i'm studying now the, the subject of how people fail and why they fail on a, on a big, a big uh, uh, scale. I'm studying this now for years. And to my opinion, this is for a big part uh, in good faith. I know personally some professors in, in the, medical, uh, the medical area, directors of hospitals, these people are afraid. Um, now there is a mechanism which is behind that and that's described by um, Le Bon and, um, and Sigmund Freud which is mass formation. I don't know if you heard already about this uh, point, this thing, mass formation. Nope. It's very interesting. It's uh, a system which is quite close to hypnosis. Yes, we've um, heard about this, yeah. Yes, and so people get anxious and what is happening is that their consciousness is, starts to be limited. They cannot see reality anymore as a whole. They will only see what is fitting into their anxiousness. Hmm. But That's Michael, very... what about what about the fact that this is happening all over the world? I mean, do you think they're all in mass hypnosis? No, not all, but a lot of us. Wow. About seventy percent. What, uh, what about the use of the mass media? Well, yeah. Wait, I come to that. Um, there is, there are, of course, some mechanisms which inform enforce these things. I have a question for you about this in this matter. Uh, do you know what the role is about the, from Deloitte at the moment in this uh, in this crisis? No. No, because uh, in our governmental institution, I, I know that Deloitte is sitting on the table with our experts, mm -hmm. Deloitte. So the question is, what are they doing there? I think they're not only in our country sitting there because they're mentioned in not one document, you don't see them anywhere, but we know that Deloitte is sitting there to advise our government. So it would be interesting to see if in other countries, Deloitte is also um, there to advise the countries, because there you have a very big issue that we see in other crises, that there is a central um, advisory in all these things, central consultants, 
Uh, we had that in the banking crisis where only three, four uh, big uh, consultancy offices, uh, auditors, advise these, these banks. And this is what we see also in this crisis. We get advices by the WHO, we get advices by the Imperial College in London with Neil Ferguson and his friends, who are in fact uh, delivering all kinds of scientists all over the world. The French are advised by somebody yeah, but this guy's not even a doctor. I mean, uh, we have come to the conclusion that they're not acting in good faith. That may be different in Belgium. I kind of have my doubts because this is a lockstep approach. But um, I am I'm absolutely convinced that this is done in bad faith and that the object of this never had anything to do with health, but rather it's the great reset that they're pushing or whatever you want to call it. So this is, in my view, I can't. I, I can't, I don't see how this is in good faith. In particular, if you look at how many people are dying from the measures. My good colleague, I follow what you say. Uh, but since I'm a lawyer, I know also that if we want to prove that, we need to have really uh, far going proofs. And in fact, we need to have a, 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 um, an inquiry in which we can seize all their computers and look what they write to each other to see in fact, in fact what the, the main intention was behind it. We're going to need the Anglo-American uh, law of evidence because ours is simply too weak. I we agree need, with We need pretrial discovery and that's, that's what's going to take us exactly where we need to go. We know what's going on. We need the evidence to prove what's going on. I, I agree, but you will not hear me say that this is fact because I'm a lawyer and I just will say that when I have a proof of that. Okay. I never say that I cannot prove at the moment. Now concerning the Great Reset, I'm reading this completely ridiculous book from Mr. Schwab, which is something where I was laughing with and I didn't laugh for years in such a, such a good way because this is complete idiocy. What he writes is, is the consequence of the Club of Rome, which happened about 50 years ago when I was born. And I had the privilege when I was 17 years to be in the, in the Green Party in Belgium, to be in the, 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 the national Uh, mm -hmm. com uh, committee of the Green Party, in which I was working with uh, some members of parliament when I was 17. And I discovered then that in, with the Club of Rome, we had two, two different choices, or to reduce growth, which is the main issue in the idea of uh, this idiot swap, or to develop technology. Now, after 30 years, this, we, I, I discovered that in fact, reducing growth, it's a complete stupid idea. You cannot say to all Africa, let's redu reduce growth a little bit. It's completely stupid. We will not do that ever. And what we see now is that uh, Schwab said that we would be now in a crisis, in an economic crisis with, with growth uh, going down. That's completely not true. Uh, worldwide, the growth is already more at the moment than growth, growth was before the crisis. China covered, uh, was, is, is completely getting up, they're already higher. Uh, America, a great, uh, the USA is on the same level. Growth is going very fast back to the levels before the crisis and is going more up and up and up. So these guys, they make predictions which are not real. It's completely nonsense. Uh, if you, you read what this guy, I'm, I'm writing in Belgium now humoristic pieces about what this idiot is writing. It's completely nonsense. He cannot do this. It's, it's, we have to, to show to the world how stupid this is. Well, the thing, I don't, I don't quite understand this, Michael, because our middle class is almost completely wiped out. It's bankrupt. 
Um, and the same is true for the United States. So why is growth going up? Is it because of the international, the global corporations? They have no bases. They have no bases. Look at the figures. You will see that growth is going uh, in the United States. It's already completely back on. The, the stock markets, they're completely back recovered. Oh, the stock markets are completely, different. totally out of touch with reality. I mean, they I have know. nothing to do with real growth out in the real world. So this is only the, this is only the, I mean, of course, this is open to discussion, but in my view, this is only the reflection of what they're trying to manipulate the markets with the, um, with the, um, uh, with the, with the corporations, but they're not the ones that are that are uh, uh, causing any growth. It's the middle class. It's the small and medium sized businesses. I, just, but, I agree with you. I agree with you. But I said that there is the growth is back in the United States. Look at the figures. I didn't make the figures. Maybe they're wrong, but the figures are that they are back on the same level as before the crisis. In China, they're up. And in Europe, we are a little bit down still, but we are coming up very fast at the moment. So we, we see really that. don't have anything to worry about, huh? Sorry? We don't have anything to worry about. Yes, huh? yes, we have a lot of to, to worry about <laughs> because we have a very big problem. And one of the pro and the problem, the one of the problems is that we are confronted with the the biggest. Um, uh, how can I say, the biggest concentration of uh, importance of uh, politically correct thinking that we have ever met in, the, in, in our history. And that's a very big problem. We are political correct thinking is thinking with, in, 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 the fun in function of a higher cause, a higher goal, which looks a very nice goal. It can be uh, people who are uh, workers who need to be uh, like, like in Marxism, where you have the higher goal for the, for the proletarians, etc. Well, here the higher goal is to avoid that people die from a virus. Okay. And then there is a system which is uh, leading to the solution on the goal. And that system starts to get a whole own its own life. And everything that's not according to the system is considered to be not according to the aim. It's, it's, con it's, it's considered to be contrary to the goal. So everything that you say now, which is not according to the idea how to solve the, the, the COVID problem, it's something against COVID themselves. It's like you're the murderer. And that's that political correct thinking takes such a big um, um, importance at this moment that this is the thing that we need to fight against. And that's very. I think I don't think that's the cause, but it's one of the one of the tools that they've been using yes, agree, by introducing by introducing by introducing political correctness. They introduced lies because political correctness is just a euphemism for you know. But at any rate, um, I how what do you how do you feel about the lawsuit that you have filed for yourself? Is it going anywhere, or do you have to be afraid that maybe they're going to use the same uh, reasoning in order to dismiss your case that they're using what you think for the PCR test by simply saying, well, we don't care because the situation is dangerous. Is that a possibility? I'm sure that they will do that. And I don't care, frankly. We, what, what we saw from the beginning is that we need to have an, a strategy of shooting in all kinds of ways. We cannot limit us to one way to shoot. And we have to show how ridiculous these things are. Because when people are like hypnotized, like in this, this mass um, forming, 
we use deliberately techniques to break that down. We use humor, which is very important for this. This is why I laugh with Schwab. It has a very good uh, people. People are very sh much shocked if I laugh, laugh with this guy. They take him very serious because he's the president of the of the the the, the, the thing there, the um, uh, uh, economic forum. Mm -hmm. uh, he's the president there, so they take him serious. Well, I laugh with this guy. Humor is very important. He's much less important when you see when you show how ridiculous this idiot is. And that's a very important weapon. What we also do is we do reframing. We are assisted by some professors who are psychologists and psychiatrists, and it's very important to reframe population. So once I said in Belgium that uh, all these, um, the, if if there would be millions of deaths caused by the by the um, by by the measures, we need to we need to think about giving the death penalty to to the viral loads. <laughs> I said that. You can imagine what a storm this was. I almost lost my job, my license as a lawyer, but frankly, I don't care. For me, this reframing is very important. And I can tell you it had a very big impact on reframing people, because what is happening there is that people start to think, yeah, why he must get the death penalty? Why he says that he must get the death penalty? And they start to think about it also in their subconsciousness. And this is the way how you plant in their minds doubts about what is happening. Mm -hmm. So these techniques are very important. If, if we want to have a strategy which is really working, we can have, we can go to, to, to have lawsuits as much as we want. But if we cannot convince the population that this is bullshit, this is nonsense, we will lose. So we will need but that is clear. I mean, we all know that this cannot be won in the courts of law alone because many of them are totally corrupt. And they have been for years, ex except we didn't see it. Because in many, in many of our international courts, in not just international courts in the sense of uh, uh, international criminal courts, but I, I mean the courts of law in our individual countries, they they installed certain peoples in uh, certain people, certain judges in um, what they think strategically important positions like this happened here in Germany with the uh, Constitutional Court. But I think it'll take a it'll take a coordinated effort on several levels. The law yes. uh, we have to keep. Well, humor using humor is, of course, one approach, but we have to keep educating the people to get yes. more transparency into this, yes. plus the spiritual side. Michael, I don't want to cut you off, but uh, no. we're way behind. And I think I mean, uh, yeah. just one thing I want to say, I think we should think about creating an international party with all branches in all countries, because if we want to influence on politics, this is a very important step. So the only thing I want to say, try to think about it, how we could do that. But that would be an important step if we could arrange that all countries, all the parties that we can establish in countries, or maybe if people just go from an international level to a local level, that would be a major step. Imagine that we can make a European party on this subject and that there are branches of all these parties. We have in Walloon, we have a party. We have in Flanders a party. And we know that people in Holland, they also try to create a party, but they didn't. They don't believe very much in this. But I think that's very important. And then we can push them. That that's uh, that's one way to go about it. But my my um, my view is that many people. This is at least what I pick up when I talk to people. That many people 
here in Europe and in the United States are totally and completely fed up with this globalization approach. They want to go back to the regions. They want to be they want to be able to take um, to, to get to take back their sovereignty from these globalized one size fits, fits all approach because it never fits and it's always in favor of the corporations always against consumers and against the and that, well, that's one of the reasons why people hate the EU so much they hate it they want to dismantle it and bring it back to the European Economic Union or something but they don't want a political union and they don't want a financial union so we'll see we'll see which approach works I agree but we will talk later about the subject because I think there are still some things to to talk about. Okay. Well, that took more than 15 minutes. Okay. Thank you very much, Michael. Thanks so much. Okay. Bye, David. Bye, bye. 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 Um, Saji Hamid, yeah. are you still yes. there? Oh yes, I'm here. Can you see me? Yes, we can see you and we can hear you. I'm I'm really sorry that we're so far behind, but I hope it's at least interesting enough uh, for you to wait in line, so to speak. No problem. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. So, Thank you. Well, tell yeah. us who you are and what you're doing. Well, my name is Saji. I'm, I'm, I'm a climate scientist. Mm -hmm. So I, I work on things like El Nino. Um, and I'm um, settled in Japan. I've been here for 10 years now. Before that, um, yeah, I worked in the US and Korea. <clears throat> so that's all I have to say about mm -hmm. myself. So, Raina, do you speak Japanese? Uh, I know that you worked uh, in Japan. <laughs> a little. I'm going to try it out in a little while. But I do speak a little yeah. Japanese. I had when I was uh, um, when I was working for Deutsche Bank in Tokyo. We had private Japanese lessons, and I kind of liked that. Tokyo Denki no Bengoshi But it's not true. <laughs> I just lied. <laughs> I just said I am the lawyer of Tokyo Bank. Okay, go okay. ahead. <laughs> so should I, um, I have a presentation, so should I share it? And yes, please. Mm -hmm. And you can kind of, yeah, interrupt me, if, you know. Uh, how long should I, you know, what is, what time? Well, um, uh, how frame should I? What, what, what is your, what's on your wish list? I mean, is it between 10 and 15 minutes? If that's, if that's the case, that's fine. <laughs> if it's a half an yeah, hour. Yeah, I could, I could. I could do that, yeah. Okay, great, please, yeah, go so ahead. So basically I'm going to look at the um, Indian and Japanese situation Perfect. kind of together. That's exactly what we were looking for, in particular yeah. India, because there's so many rumors out there and so much false information. Maybe you can correct okay. some of this. Yeah, <clears throat> okay. So let me, sorry, my voice is a bit um, out today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can you see me? Uh, can you, can we can, you see, we can see yeah. yeah, we can see that picture. Um, yeah. So this is what I want to show about my work. Uh, so you probably know about this. Uh, two years ago, there was a big bush, bushfire in uh, Australia. Mm -hmm. And um, you probably don't know. Okay? <laughs> so this is uh, because um, something like the El Nino, it's called the Indian Ocean Dipole. So this is a work which I have worked on. So this is kind of my work. Um, so that's my brief introduction to, to myself. So I want to kind of, yeah, so um, 
I totally agree with you that the PCR test and especially asymptomatic infections, this is kind of uh, very, very crazy um, idea that, you know, people would have asymptomatic infections. So that's, I think, should be the key legal argument because that's the thing we have to <clears throat> attack. Mm -hmm. But there is bigger issues um, as one of your speakers a few sessions ago talked about the international health regulations. Yes. So this is what is causing governments to kind of act. They, they're legally bound to mm -hmm. to all the measures, at least part of them. Mm -hmm. But we also have to look carefully at uh, contagion, like is because contagion has been historically used to justify quarantines and mm -hmm. tyranny, starting from 17th century or even before. And so, so the science, um, as you had a discussion before, science is also basically a bit corrupted because scientists are too busy mm -hmm. and it's too specialized. So they don't have time to critically think. Mm -hmm. So there is some issues with contagion and I'm very pleased that in Germany, you have people um, like Stefan Langa who is kind of <clears throat> critically looking at this. And finally, you have, uh, as you mentioned, we have this uh, big corporation stuff. And so we need to have, we need to go back to small is beautiful Very and good. decentralization. But I'm, go I'm not going to touch on all of those. I'm going to look at the PCR mm -hmm. test. Sorry for my voice. It's kind of. <clears throat> so essentially, um, I would like to look at the data, basically. That's where I'm comfortable. And to point to some noteworthy news items to, and I hope, I can con convince, uh, you know, I can provide a justification. There's some inconsistencies and uh, maybe explain why there is an Indian spike. Mm -hmm. So essentially what I'm doing here is to look, uh, so if you look at this graph, so these are the PCR labeled deaths from different countries. Mm -hmm. so at the bottom is China, which is not showing anything. Yeah. So nobody has died in China after, you know, it started. Mm -hmm. And it, so currently our interest is in India. So India is that blue line, you see that line where it put. Not much going on there. Yeah, exactly. And I, I provide some baselines. So all these are kind of normalized in terms of deaths per 100,000 people. So all the countries are on par. Mm -hmm. So big countries, you know, would not show up uh, you know, extraordinary stuff. Mm -hmm. And two baselines I use are, um, one is the deaths, because I know Japan data, it's um, people, suicide, suicides are kind of uh, maybe big in Japan, it's like 15 per 100,000 people. Mm -hmm. So the city I live in has about 100,000 people. So it's like 15 pe people per year. Um, the other one is the deaths from pneumonia because pneumonia is kind of, uh, we say that COVID is pneumonia, atypical pneumonia. Mm -hmm. So these are my baselines to compare. And so those are shown as the dashed line and the solid line. And you can see India is basically nothing. Mm -hmm. But if you look at Germany or Sweden or USA, you think that something really is happening because it's, uh, it's kind of, way beyond what you see in Asia. Yeah. So I want to point that out way? that actually this is seems to be a fake uh -huh. because um, um, 
Because if you look at the old cost excess mortality, this I took from uh, Carl Hennigan from Oxford. Mm -hmm. So they looked at the humans. So you see that Sweden is 1.5%. Mm -hmm. Let's look at Sweden because they didn't do anything, especially compared to other countries. So if this were true, we would expect uh, about 6% of excess mortality. But we only see 1.5% despite you know having this big mm -hmm. rise. Mm -hmm big rise compared to pneumonia. Normally you have only 75. It's like going 120. Mm -hmm. So we don't have, so it, it's not consistent. But there's a trick. The um, excess mortality is kind of uh, wrong. It's defined as the five-year average and you go beyond that. But that is not applicable to many countries in Europe or Japan because it's developed countries and you have controlled mortality mm -hmm. so people live longer and so <clears throat> the death rate has an upward trend so it's going up every year mm -hmm. and so if you take a five-year average your last two years are always going to be about normal so it's like people talking about climate change they'll always say this year is warmer than you know previous years so it's that kind of trick so to give an example, in Japan, there's always 20,000 more people dying compared to the previous year. So we have to take this into account. You mean every so year? We, every year, yes, uh -huh. 20,000. So there's an increase by 20,000 every year? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And this is true for most uh, European countries. Mm -hmm. so, so in this sense, this excess mortality is kind of misleading. It's overestimate. Yeah. And and why is this? Is this because of like old age population or what's the reason yes, for this? Yeah, because growing. they're growing older. It's because okay. of old age. Mm -hmm. It's because everything is, you know, you have a good medical system, so people tend to live longer, mm -hmm. but with disease. So, so, mm -hmm. so the old population gets bigger mm -hmm. compared to. So in fact, in Japan, although, you know, we had, uh, mm -hmm. we were supposed to have COVID for one year, the death rates are lower. So the blue line is for 2020, it's early part, and 2019 is the dark line. Uh, normally we would expect because of the trend, this to be 20,000 more. So we haven't even reached that. So it's extremely low. Hmm. So that's one point. So the deaths are lower, not only in Japan, but also in most countries, and hmm. doesn't square well with that the report that millions of people have died from a new disease and it's there's a new pathogen mm. going around. So this is definitely very strange. But there are actually um, big deaths in certain parts of the world. And as uh, Michael was talking about Belgium case, this needs careful investigations. This is uh, New York. Mm -hmm. And most of the lines are for five years. So if you take five years, you can see kind of how they vary. And the big spike is for 2020, just around April. And that one should not happen naturally. Naturally, you would have like a standard deviation, two standard deviation, or a little bit, 10%, you know, 20%. Mm -hmm. But this is way up. So this, this kind of things are, you know, need... Um, special investigation but um well we've talked we've spoken to some people from new york 
and from yeah. the United States. And there is some evidence that much of this is can be attributed uh, to medical malpractice, overdosing, exactly. <laughs> overdosing hydroxychloroquine. Too much. Yeah. Uh, too many people were put on a respirator, but also because of the panic. We assume, and the people who we spoke to assume that many people who would have normally stayed at home and uh, yeah. try to uh, get through and over a flu uh, yeah. for five, six, seven days, they many of them uh, went to the hospitals, and that's what killed them, basically. Yeah. So basically, this is happening in India now too. Mm -hmm. They. They should. These are self-limiting diseases, but they go to the hospital and get. Uh... Can I can I say something about this matter? Very short. Yeah. yeah. Um, there is a very interesting study of Professor Toussaint in France, who is explaining this thing, uh, and this is what we also saw in New York because they had triple as much young people laying in the in their hospitals because of the fact that they also have triple as much obese people people with obese and with illnesses like um, uh, 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 diabetes and other illnesses. Mm -hmm. So this is why there is a big peak in, in New York City because of these people laying there. So that's an important point. Second, what uh, Reiner says is very true. Uh, the collateral damage is also included in these kinds of figures. And you must know that in Belgium we have uh, very little uh, heart attacks during the corona crisis. That's not real, of course, but these people are considered as coronas because they had pain on the chest and they couldn't breathe much, and they are considered as coronas, they're not treated, and they're dead. So that's why you have such a high figures. The, the, the cardiovascular patients are also in there, yeah. For, yeah. for example. Yeah. yeah, okay. These are nursing homes, so um, obese people don't go there. Mm -hmm. These deaths mm -hmm. mostly happen in nursing homes. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, so um, there are two factors. One is the PCR testing trends. I think you know most of this. And the, one, the other one is like mislabeling seasonal trends. So I want to kind of show some kind of evidence for the two of these. So the first we know that the testing tests are increasing, mm -hmm. just like this one. So this is from Tokyo. And the red one is the, the PCR test being conducted. Mm -hmm. um, and the the blue line is the PCR negative, so it's they, they're testing um, people, but most of them are turning out to be negative. And uh, if you look at the PCR positive, they're always a very, very tiny fraction. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> there's one, one more reason why there's so many um, negatives which are close to, that's because they're testing asymptomatic people. People really mm -hmm. don't have anything, but they're getting tested. Same thing in Delhi. So Delhi, if you look, so in this case, I kind of labeled it as quarantined by positive PCR. So the red line is the positive PCR, and the blue line is, you know, the number of people who are released, mm -hmm. you know, after keeping them for uh, maybe one week because they didn't have any symptoms. And here also you can see the graph is really going up, but it's, the positives are mostly from just testing. They're just increasing the testing. Or people are going there for more testing, one of those. But there is nothing really happening because people, they stay for 10 days and, you know, and they don't develop any symptoms. 
And uh, so recently, Professor Fenton from Oxford, uh, from Queen's London University, um, he also showed something with the kind of data of um, the medical services receiving 911 calls or you know, those kind of stuff. And there's a big disparity between um, these calls, which would show that people are really kind of calling in and feeling sick and the test numbers. So these test numbers are meaningless. This PCR test uh, is the basic problem. Mm -hmm. And the cases are just increasing because they are um, increasing the case numbers. Mm -hmm. But let's assume that what is happening is not a case pandemic, but it's a real pandemic. So here is what I want to show something really interesting, not from data, but from real people. And what's happening in India is since November 20, farmers have been protesting because um, the Indian government wants to kind of um, privatize the farming sector, the food sector. Uh -huh. And so these people have been going on since number 20. And this is the crowd. It's like huge crowds, uh -huh. women, uh -huh. children, and they're all together and there is no protection. And they are right beside Delhi. So uh -huh. Delhi is the place where we hear all the news. People are dying yeah. with you know lack of oxygen. But surprisingly, the, the virus has kind of forgotten them. So this is a real evidence that uh, what is happening is a pandemic, not, yeah, not a real. But the figures are false then. So this looks like, well, yeah. intentional misinformation. Yes, mm -hmm. it is. It is. Yeah. I mean, otherwise, how would you implement a PCR test without you know, validating it? Yeah. It's intentionally. Despite the fact that the uh, PCR test isn't even, has never ever been approved for diagnostic purposes, but only for scientific purposes. It's, uh, this is a real, I'm not going to say miracle, but it's insanity that this has ever happened just because one person, Drosden, came up with the idea that he's going to invent a test to uh, identify infections when everybody should know, even dentists, because they use PCR tests as well, everybody should know that they cannot do this. This, this is insanity. That's why I'm saying, unlike Michael, that this is intentional and this is not in good faith. But go ahead. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so another one is, uh, so this is the poster child of... Uh, of uh, India's new variant that there was this religious festival mm. where uh, Hindu pilgrims go to the Ganga, that's the Ganges, and they dip. And so there's data, there's um, like 9 million people went between March, between January to April, four months. And the typical scene is like this. And this is not fake because many of the pilgrims are wearing masks. So uh -huh. a few of them, not many. Mm -hmm. um, and what is interesting, so now let's look at to see, you know, if this big gathering had any impact on, mm -hmm. especially since they went on March 11, we think that this thing incubates for two weeks and then, you know, and then one percent of people will die. Mm -hmm. But what you see is that uh, the state is called Uttarakhand. It's about 10 million population. I think it's similar to Sweden. Mm -hmm. But with the population density of Uganda. 
mm -hmm. as and so these uh, lines the vertical lines are the different timelines 3.2 million on march 11 you can see that after a month there is nothing much happening mm -hmm. the deaths are flat these are total total curves so if they remain flat there's no new case nor there is any new infection the only rise you see is um, starting about april 14th so recently um, but this rise is not unique to this place, Uttarakhand, where the pilgrims were there. This happens pretty much all over India. It happens in Delhi, of course. And so this is used to justify the scaremongering that it was this event which led to a huge rise because they see, they compare like mm -hmm. to 3.5 million people went on April 12th. They kind of conveniently don't say about the March 11th. They talk about March, April 12th, and this led to the huge spike in the cases. Mm -hmm. But but interesting thing is that it's not only in Delhi. This spike in a slower rate is seen in other states. And what's more interesting is that uh, this state is very tiny. And you can see it has a very sharp spike uh, around that time. So why is this state important? It's kind of in a remote island away from the west coast of India. So it's a very beautiful island. But I know the population is 97% Muslim. And they are definitely not going to go to Kumbamela. And so this kind of highlights that and it's a very difficult island to get into. You know, it's, I'm from southern India, and this is kind of, you know, this maybe for compared to other Indians, this is close to me. But I need to have a special pass. I have to get either on a ferry or an airplane to get to this island. And uh, most people don't do that. So mm -hmm. it's very difficult to get. But they have the same kind of spike. So... So this virus, as uh, Ellie was telling, is very smart. It knows how to jump oceans and not yet affect the farmers who are really nearby. Why is that? And so, sorry? Why is that? What's the explanation for this? Oh, okay. So I'll get to this explanation. Yeah. So this, yeah, that's a very interesting question. Yeah. Explanation is something, yeah, it's difficult to imagine for uh, most people, even me, because uh, I'm, I'm, although I'm from India, I don't realize what's happening in India now. So this is happening everywhere. You see the spike at the same time. Mm -hmm. Well, the explanation is that, okay, before that, you see that uh, all over um, Asia, it's kind of similar. There is, it's uh, not so pronounced, but uh, it's still rising trend. And the explanation for that is, um, is that, oh, sorry, yeah, I sh I I'll get to that. <laughs> Let's keep it a mystery. If I hope time is, I, I didn't check the time. So if you want me to hurry, I'll just. I think we have hurry. to hurry a little. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, the second point I want to make is that these, it's not only the increase of tests, it's also picking up uh, seasonal illnesses because this is a very badly designed test. So it picks up everything you throw at it. So, mm -hmm. so this is clear from Tokyo data. You have this in uh, spring, you had the seasonal cold. 
because weather is kind of very unsteady and people catch cold. In summer too, we have the summer colds because mm-hmm. it's very hot and people use air conditioning a lot. And so these are seasonal illnesses and influenza too. So the PCR test is kind of picking up anything which you throw at it. So is that the answer? Is the answer that the spikes are caused by mass testing, by increasing testing? Yes, and uh, seasonal illnesses is okay, kind of picking up seasonal illnesses. Because up. this is this coincides with what Dr. Vodak told us this morning when he said yeah. that uh, if this is what's happening in Germany. There's mass testing in the schools now. School children are yeah. to be mass tested. And he says if if we have if we have 10 million tests twice a week, then we get 500,000 false positives per week. So yeah. I assume that this is precisely what is happening in India when you're pointing to these uh, spikes. Yeah, mm-hmm. everywhere. Yeah, it's not yeah. in India. Mm-hmm. It's everywhere. And they are kind of exaggerated by the um, the amplified. So they don't, you know, if you take the um, ratio of the test, like how many, how much percentage is positive, it changes. Like it is strong in the spring and fall season and gets lower in summer, but there's a peak. So this is kind of, it's also catching the seasonal sickness. Mm-hmm. So it's not really just the increase of testing. That's the main factor. But within that, there's the small variations. Mm-hmm. So now let's get to India. So India, what's happening is that it's very hot in India mm-hmm. right now. So we call we call it the summer season, but you know it's spring for most mm-hmm. you know, most people. And to imagine how hot it's it's close to 40 degrees in mm-hmm. in Delhi, and there's a huge variation. The nights are kind of cooler. Mm-hmm. It's a 15 degrees variation. So it's a huge. And what happens during this time is that people get um, mostly pulmonary, mm-hmm. the chest and respiratory illnesses, um, <clears throat> due to different reasons. One is the unsteadiness of the weather. Mm-hmm. The other one is uh, dust coming from desert. Mm-hmm. So Delhi especially is, has a lot of dust coming. So it's the hot weather and the dust. And so people are getting sick. And if you increase the testing, then it's going to you know, show more people. Um, in a, yeah, so this is the dust storm. So April 16, there was a um, big dust storm in capital of India. In addition to that, the air quality is very, very bad in Delhi. So Delhi is the worst in the world in terms of air po- pollution. And so both of these combined to produce uh, pulmonary illnesses. And and you can see that in India, most parts of India doesn't have any problem. I, I haven't shown any curves, but most parts doesn't have. And the death rate, the death rates are really, really low. It's much below the suicide levels in Japan, like 15 people in in a big city per year. Um, <clears throat> And in some other parts of India, we have monsoon rains, but that's not a big issue. It's, it's Delhi, which is the main problem. And as we discussed before, uh, so antivirals are now being widely used. They were, they were not used uh, earlier, um, like last year, but they're now 
and people use like six shots of remdesivir. And when ja in Japan they had a trial, mm -hmm. uh, about a significant portion had to stop the trial because they developed uh, serious complications from like pulmonary problems, bronchial spasms, and also. Um, so this is what people are taking for essentially a seasonal illness, which may be um, self-limiting. And in India, the media is very, very, um, um, uh, they have raised a panic and people are really panicked and they are willing to buy this drug even from the black market. The other one is India has been using steroids too much <laughs> and they think steroids are good, but um, recently they have found out that it's not not good because uh, this is the biggest um, medical um, institution in India. So they are now kind of telling them, don't use steroids too much. So essentially what is happening in India is, um, is that it's a kind of a situation which has been caused by the PCR test mm -hmm. and the panic by the media. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have strong proof that there's no, there's no really pandemic going on because otherwise, you know, these farmers who are protesting outside, yeah. there would yeah. have been massive catastrophe. And nor did Kumbh Mela, you know. Mm -hmm. The religious in, festival. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, so what we can say about the Indian spike is that it's, it's a seasonal sickness which has been... Um, leading to a tragedy due to medical mispractice, you know, aided by the PCR. Yeah, but you so. know what? Same thing is true for Italy, Bergamo, and the same thing is true for New York, and probably for London as well. Probably for most places around yeah. the world. Wherever you have yeah. spikes, it's due to a combination of these factors that you just mentioned. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's uh, what I have to kind of think I oh, oh yeah you asked me to tell about Japan um, mm -hmm. so Japan um, I want to tell you Japan is really fighting hard one of the reasons is that Japan has a history um, of vaccine injury from the HPV vaccine mm -hmm. the human papillovirus vaccine that's cervical cancer and um, so uh, although you know it's not very um, known outside Japanese people you have been in Japan. Jap Japanese people are very kind of cooperative and they do everything which the government says. But mm -hmm. a few people, most of them kind of who have suffered some kind of injury by medical mispractice, they're beginning to wake up and uh, they are kind of organizing in small groups and they are fighting hard. For example, my friend uh, Sugimura-san kind of tries to translate a lot of information from your sessions to Japanese and a lot of information which is available in English. And uh, the only academic in Japan who kind of really understands this is a pandemic is kind of <laughs> Professor Ohashi. And mm -hmm. he, he was one of the authors of the Corman Thorsten Review. Very good, yes. And we have several, mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Yeah, so we have several uh, politicians as well. So. We are, we are standing strong in Japan. Very good. Um, yeah. And then uh, you probably know I work with Howard Steen, and yes. so that's my guru. Mm -hmm. and, uh, 
<laughs> a good man. And all Very these nice good people, Paul and Ross. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so basically, we're trying to kind of find ways through um, information technology, try to bring in people and you know, and information. So I think Howard will kind of uh, to, to inform you more about this. Yeah. And we try to do translation efforts, and we also try to contribute to Heart, which is a medical organization in the, in the UK who's mm-hmm. medical professionals trying to fight against uh, all mm-hmm. these measures. So that's all I have to uh, report today. Well, thank you very much, Saji san. Totemo oishi desu ne? Yokatta. Arigatou gozaimasu. Water can't can't do any harm. Okay. Well, thank you so much. This is uh, thank you for having I, me. I, I think we needed this because there's so much confusion about India and you yeah. um, you gave us really good insight into what's really going on. I and it all makes sense. Also it coincides with what we know from other countries and what we learned this morning by speaking to Dr. Vodak. Thank you so much Shad Saji. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you bye. Thank you bye bye. Okay. Now um I hope we're, we still, we haven't lost anyone. Is Milan Bosica with us? Milan? Milan? I think we lost Serbia. Um, let's try Anna Ghana. Yeah, let's try. Anna, are, are you with us? Well, we're running so late that probably we're losing everyone. Um, um, how about Alexis Tiriano? I think I saw your, um, at least your name shield someplace. Yes, uh, hello, I'm Hi. here. How are you doing? Hello, how are you? You're from uh, Cyprus, right? Yeah, Cyprus, uh-huh. exactly. Um, so uh, we would uh, obviously, uh, this is the first time I'm taking part in these um, in this investigative um, uh, meetings. Mm-hmm. Uh, so obviously we'd like to know how each country will coordinate to, so that we could uh, help each other out. Um, if you'd like, I can give you like um, a quick review of the situation in Cyprus. Mm-hmm. There's, there's one thing I want to ask you first, because yes. there have been rumors about how there is a, a a big PCR test complaint that was filed. Is that true? And then dismissed. Is that true or is there nothing to it? Um, I haven't heard anything okay. about that. If, if you could, if you have more details about it. Um... No, I'm sure you know much better what's going on in Cyprus than I do. This must be a rumor because there's lots of rumors going around. One of them included myself and a thousand lawyers filing a complaint well, whatever. Yeah. yeah, okay, go ahead. Sorry about that. Okay, so um, we are actually, as a country, uh, in re- in response to this uh, situation, we're actually lagging behind. And mm. uh, that's mostly because uh, not many uh, lawyers and doctors are available who are either uh, awake enough to know what's going on or who are even on the same page with us. And so... That's why we're lagging a little bit behind. So um, a few of us have to do everything. Um, we are a team 
of lawyers and doctors. Uh, I think uh, one of my colleagues is already in contact with you, Mr. Yanos Georgiadis. Mm -hmm. um, and so we're taking this in, um, we have civil proceedings coming up shortly. Uh, so we filed, we filed a case uh, last week um, for the parents and their children who don't want to do uh, PCR or uh, rapid an antigen tests mm -hmm. uh, as a prerequisite so that they can go to school. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah, so every week, every week children have to, uh, the students and pupils have to do tests to go to school. And uh, 67 parents have actually filed a lawsuit against the health ministry um, because, uh, and one of our grounds of um, action is the illegality of the measures. Uh, so we haven't even gone into whether they're constitutional or not. Obviously, we believe that they are unconstitutional because we agree this whole thing is uh, the biggest scam mm -hmm. ever mm -hmm. in the history of uh, the planet. So we're, we're first going on the illegality of the measures because uh, basically the health minister is just passing uh, on decrees uh, and they never go through parliament. So it's basically rule by decree. That's what we have. Just uh, like everywhere in the world, everywhere. It's always the same story. Lockstep well, I'm approach. Not sure. I'm not sure. I think that the UK has a, an actual law that uh, they they passed through Parliament uh, a year ago. Really, we now also have a law, but it used to be like this with bylaws. Yeah, it used to be um, it used to be an omnipotent government that could um, rule by decree. Yeah. Same in the United States. Many of the governors were simply reined in by some of the Supreme Courts in Wisconsin and in Pennsylvania and uh, one of the, not the su Supreme Court, but a district court in California, telling them you can, yes, you can have emergency measures, but only for a certain period of time. And then you have to uh, involve the parliament. Yeah. Um, Cyprus wasn't actually declared in a... Um in a state of emergency, mm -hmm. uh, there may have there may have been uh, legal um, problems in doing that uh, because we're also split with the in two. Uh, we also have the, we have the Turkish Cypriot side or um, and the Greek Cypriot side. So there might have been some legal constitutional problems with uh, declaring us in a state of emergency. So they didn't do that. Mm -hmm. uh, so in this case, you have to go through the parliament since we're not in a state of, state of emergency. And they never did that. So what we're finding, what we're trying to do now is get a court to decide mm -hmm. that they're illegal. There has been no response, obviously, from the governments in about one and a half months that we've been uh, telling everyone that these are not legal. There's been no response from anyone. So uh, obviously because they know that they're illegal. Uh, so we're now expecting uh, a decision, hopefully next week, by the by the district courts, maybe two weeks. I don't know how long the court will delay it. And also, uh, very recently, about uh, three, four days ago, we had this new decree, which is about the, they called it the Corona Pass first, 
it's like the green pass that's going around Europe now. But, uh, and uh, now they called it safe pass because Corona pass couldn't be used because there's a conflict with the name from the Microsoft app. Something <laughs> like that. <laughs> yeah. So uh, with the Corona pass, it's uh, you have to, or the safe pass, you have to um, provide this pass, which you have to be either vaccinated or have had a PCR within 72 hours of you going to a restaurant or uh, uh, or a any retail uh, shop. Uh, the only exceptions are supermarkets, um, grocery stores, and uh, hairdressers. That's the only exceptions where you don't need um, the Corona Pass. Mm -hmm. So now we're going to file an urgent um, case, uh, an urgent civil action in the courts next week. There's been so much resistance from people and from businesses alike to this <clears throat> to this decree that they've now pulled back within three four days and they said that now they they're going to allow at least people to be in outdoor spaces without having a corona pass. Mm -hmm. So they're going to cancel this decree within five days of implementing it and doing another one. So thankfully. Thankfully, we haven't been able to lodge this civil case yet, so we'll wait for the new decree to come out probably on Monday and then challenge that decree a couple of days later. And with this, we can actually ask for a decision within two, three days. Mm -hmm. uh, and let's hope for the best. Uh, so there's many people that are interested in going on these mass uh, or what do you call it? Um, uh, when there's many people on one action, anyway, class class, class action. action. Yeah, we don't actually call it that, but it's like a class action lawsuit. Mm -hmm. uh, there's many people who are interested right now to go on these lawsuits, and uh, so we're hoping for the best in that sense. Uh, we also have been resisting in like taking defensive legal action as well. So um, when somebody uh, does uh, something which is against these decrees obviously you could get fined by the police and then uh, if you don't pay the fine you get taken to the criminal court mm -hmm. so in the criminal court we've had a couple of um I, I would say like good news we've we've been trying to get a decision from the criminal courts as well uh because the first defense that we have is that these measures are illegal and they're unconstitutional so we want to submit our legal submissions on uh, what we uh, on why we think they're illegal and unconstitutional, but at the last minute, imagine this: there was a case that was filed five months ago in January against a person who was just out at a protest and telling people to go to a protest. Right? Um, protests are now illegal as well, of course. So. If that's not uh, if that's not a reason to protest that protests are illegal, yeah. I don't know what is. So five months ago, they filed a case against him, a criminal case, um, urgently. And um, as soon as the his uh, legal representation was ready to file their uh, submissions on why the measures are illegal and unconstitutional, the Attorney General decided to withdraw the case. Hmm. 
because they didn't want to give the court the chance to make a decision. Ah. Are they afraid that the court is independent? No, they're afraid that the illegality is such a straight argument yeah. that we have here. There's no, there's no argument against it. Uh -huh. So if, if a court actually decides against it, then it's going to show, it's going to be exposed like there's a real problem uh -huh. with justice in this country. That's important. That's important because that's what's happening here, too. That's why many people think even if you go to court, if you file a complaint, you are either going to win. We're, of course, basing most of the stuff that we're doing on the PCR tests. But you're either going to win on a factual basis because all the experts agree now, even the even the WHO agrees that the PCR test can't tell you anything about infections. But if you don't win because they're not going to hear any witnesses or because they're trying to reschedule this case so that it's going to be tried sometime in two years or so, that's when the uh, courts and the judicial systems unmask themselves. So this is that's why it's a win win. Uh, either you win because you're winning on the basis of facts or you you lose and thereby you uh, really unleash probably a storm, if not a revolution. Yeah. And, and that's probably true. That, that's why, why this happened. That's why he withdrew the case. Yeah, exactly. And uh, now we could actually use this in a way um, to, uh, to promote, uh, not that I, I, I can't really say this. I don't know if this uh, meeting is actually private or if it's uh, been shown live but no, it's live streamed mm -hmm. so you okay. should, should not so, give away your strategy mm -hmm. don't give away no. your strategy mm -hmm. it's not about that but but now it's like so obvious because we've had a second case yesterday that was not withdrawn but postponed by the attorney because yeah. they have these orders uh, from the attorney general to postpone everything when whenever there is a challenge on the legality of the measures they always postpone um and Maybe the reality of the measures is based on the fact that this is ruling by decree. Yes. Okay, I got it. Mm -hmm. They never went through Parliament. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe they're waiting for the new Parliament to come in mm -hmm. uh, because we have elections on the 30th of May. Mm -hmm. uh, so maybe they're waiting for the new Parliament to see if the new Parliament will actually uh, vote and uh, make these measures legal, in which case... They can't do that retrospectively, but uh, they can at least make whatever measures come after this legal if they pass them through the parliament. Uh, however, in that case, we're going to have to go for the for the main argument, which is let's go on the attack and uh, attack the PCR tests with a with a lawsuit mm -hmm. again, as you said. Mm -hmm. uh, because we have to basically all we need is just to get our evidence to the court, yes. you know, and expert witnesses to the court so that they can see that there is a whole other story here that's not been shown by the mainstream media. Uh, we've gathered loads of evidence from years before, uh, like, uh, for example, in November 2018 and uh, to November 2019, there was 450, roughly 450 deaths every November from all causes, uh, then you've got about 55 or 10% of those which were from um, 
breathing uh, conditions. Mm -hmm. So like the, mm -hmm. yeah, respiratory conditions. So then you've got COVID-19 deaths in 2020, which were just 23. <laughs> <clears throat> so every, every year you've got 50 or 55 deaths in November from respiratory uh, infections or uh, causes. And then you've got 23 COVID deaths in November 2020, uh, which just shows you that the mainstream media is just not showing the numbers. Everything is COVID right now. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of misleading of the public. Um, obviously, this has been orchestrated, um, and it remains to it remains to be seen whether the governments knew what is going on or whether they are actually just following orders from World Health Organization or the ECDC and all the other uh, organizations. So uh, with all this information that we had about the misleading the public, we also filed a report to the police. Uh, of course, the, uh, the police, they're going to be cooperating with the government, so they're not going to be so eager to, uh, to investigate our case. But we filed a 37-page report on um, uh, the, the mainstream media misleading the public and on the health minister not or the government in general not doing their job uh, properly and actually when they uh, when you're not running your country as um, as it should it's actually a criminal offense as well because a public servant has to has a duty to run the country in a in a fair and uh, uh, legal way. If if they do something that is misleading, uh, then that's obviously open to criminal offences as well. Uh, so the report has been filed. It's been two months, two and a half months it's, since it has been filed with the police. Nothing has happened because they obviously don't want to investigate. And now we've uh, taken them to the um, administrative court so that the the procedure so that the their negligence to uh, attend to this case mm -hmm. will actually be stopped so let's hope that they we have a result with that at some point soon uh, then we've got another another um thing which uh, i'm planning to lodge very very soon it's going to be another complaint to the police um, in cyprus we have to go to the police first before we can file a private criminal proceeding. So first we have to report to the police and if they don't do anything, then we go um, privately uh, as a private criminal case. So we're gonna do it um, using the Oviedo Convention, mm -hmm. uh, which uh, states that you can't force anyone to, or you can't force or coerce anyone to do a medical intervention on their body without their free and informed consent. So the decrees by the minister, which is telling us that in order to go to work, you need to do a PCR test or a rapid test, that is coercion. That is definitely not doing it with your free will. So depending on which country you are, in Cyprus, luckily enough, when this convention was ratified into law they actually made uh, uh they actually made it into criminal offenses if you uh, violate this law 
And now all of a sudden you have the government violating this law. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because they're coercing us into doing uh, And also when a, when a child has to go to school, his parent has to give consent so that the child will do a test in order to go to school. That's also coercion mm -hmm. and definitely not free and informed consent. They've also not been answering any of our letters that we've been <laughs> writing to them. The health ministry just doesn't answer anything. It's almost like it's closed shop. Yeah, but this is uh, this again is a strategy. This is a, a strategy that is applied all over the world. We just heard this from Ellie Dillman from uh, from Australia. And we're, we, of course, we have the same thing here. We're experiencing the same thing because we either get no answers or just form letters, boilerplate language. Yes. So sorry about that. I just had to do the lighting here. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much what we have uh, in Cyprus at the moment. So there's a lot going on. Um, how else can we help in what's going on? What's the, the vaccination situation like? So there is 40% um, of the population have been vaccinated according to the reports from the government. So um, now they're talking about the third dose that's going to be required for the Pfizer vaccine. A third dose? A third dose. Third dose. Oh, yeah. well, then there's probably going to be a fourth, fifth, and sixth dose very soon. I mean, people must understand that there's something seriously wrong here. And what's going to happen with the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, where they said it's only going to be one dose. Mm -hmm. And most people are choosing to do that one based on that. Mm -hmm. It's going to be only one dose. What happens when they tell them, no, you're going to need a second dose? Yeah. Well, it's, it's, you know, it's a matter of time until more people than we have right now are going to rise up simply because they're angry and they're fed up with this. Yeah. So this is what I agree with. Um, uh, what uh, you and Michael were saying before, that it's going to take not just a legal effort, but it's going to have to uh, happen in a way that the yeah. tide is going to turn in our favor at yes. some point. Yes. Um, I don't know what what uh, vaccinations are going to, what role the vaccinations are going to play in all this, because there's going to be a lot of deaths, I suspect, yeah, us from, the from the vaccinations. Well, you know, uh, the thing is, um, we think that I'll, in my view, the most important argument is because we want to attack at the foundation of this is that uh, the Drusen test is a, is a lie and that the notion of asymptomatic infections is a lie. But as far as the so-called vaccinations are concerned, they are important because something is got, has gotten out of hand. Something went wrong. This is not part of the plan, we don't think. The fact that there's so many adverse reactions. Like we heard um, just this morning in another, I think it's an article that I quoted a part of, um, we read that 20% of the, of the population in the nursing homes died after vaccination. 20% that's a lot and this yeah. is not and then this is not special for Germany it's it's happening all over the world except that in most countries the the actual reports the official reports are probably fake they're trying to keep the numbers low um, but if that is true then this is not something that they had planned for. In my view, what they had planned is to get people vaccinated, not have any side effects, and hoping to get through until the winter and the uh, fall season. And then by claiming that, oh my God, people are 
getting seriously ill and at the same time hoping that the majority of the population will have forgotten about the vaccinations in the winter and in the spring, they would then have conv convinced us or tried to convince us to get another, uh, um, uh, um, a second or third or fourth shot. Now, something went wrong. All of a sudden, people are alarmed and many people do not want to get vaccinated anymore. Like we heard from, the, from our friend Leslie Manukian from the United States, uh, a little less than 30% of the population got vaccinated and all of a sudden this whole thing dried up. Interest in vaccinations is completely gone. All of the um, uh, vaccination centers are empty. So I think oh. if only half of what uh, Professor Bhakti and Dr. Vodak and, and uh, Dolores Cahill, Mike Yeadon predicted, if only half of these adverse reactions, and I'm not talking about the ones that happen now, I'm talking about the ones that happen once the people who got vaccinated run into the actual virus, into a into the cold, the common cold virus or the flu. If only half of what they predicted is true, then we may have 40% of the population of the world's population uh, that has gotten vaccinated and maybe 20% who suffer serious adverse effects. Well, if that happens, the system is gonna break down. It's gonna collapse. Yeah. Uh, but that's almost inevitable if that happens. The thing is, will we know about it though? Because um... Uh, I'm sure in all countries it was the same, mm -hmm. that they were only reporting every death as a COVID death. Yeah. So now they have actually, they reported a couple of cases that died with a history of vaccination. Mm -hmm. That's how they reported it. But then because people started getting concerned, mm -hmm. they now said that they're going to use the excuse of personal data, protection of personal data of dead people. Yeah. Basically. Um, so that they won't announce if somebody has a history of vaccination. Uh, so basically, yeah, they don't want to, they don't want us to know that the deaths are coming from the vaccines themselves. But you know, uh, Lexus, people are not that stupid. I mean, I agree. Uh, yeah. People are pretty stupid, but they're not that stupid. Uh, yeah. This has woken a lot of people up because this is disturbing. I mean. 20% of the population in the nursing homes dying after vaccination. It's kind of hard to explain that away by uh, telling the all of a sudden telling the people that they're dying of uh, some cause that needs to that cannot be disclosed because of personal data protection. Nah, they're not going to buy that. I don't think. Yeah, I mean, we've had one report from another trying to cover their themselves as well with uh, the way that they communicate uh, publicly. Mm -hmm. So we've had uh, one of the person on the uh, team of health experts from the government say that there's a chance that five to 10% of uh, people who will be vaccinated will not respond to the vaccine and might die. <laughs> so, oh my God. Yes. So when you think about that, imagine if they vaccinate 60% of the population, we have, that would be around, I think, four to 500,000 people. What's 10% of that? 60,000 people to die. Yeah. And they're telling this, like, to the public. And then is, you've got... This yeah. is called predictive programming. Yeah. They're yes. preparing us. Mm -hmm. And then you have uh, Matt Hancock, the, the UK health minister, who said... 
I mean, I read in the Daily Mail, I think he said that the only way that the measures will um, not be lifted is if there is a variant which will hit vaccinated people, making them severely ill. So that's preparing. Yes, it is. Well, Matt Hancock is um, a very controversial figure, even in England, and he's got to be the worst actor ever. I've seen him in a video where he was pretending to cry uh, because he was so concerned about the death, and you could see he's laughing in reality. It's incredible. Yeah, okay, well, no good faith here, not in my view. Rainer, can I ask a question to Alexis? Yes, sure. of course. Alexis, do you know if, if um, your government is also assisted by Deloitte in this matter? Um, no, I haven't looked into that. Can you check that out, if possible, and let it know to Reiner, please? It would be interesting if in some countries we will check this out. Oh, we can put you in direct to throw it in the group and to let everybody look at this because uh, imagine being approached in lockstep more or less Slight variations, yeah. but basically they're all trying to do the same thing. They're trying to dis to, to get us disoriented. Um, they're trying to get rid of the rule of law, and uh, and they're trying to make the uh, the elected governmental officials uh, to make them into omnipotent emperors. Yeah. So that through them they can further their own agenda. But the most important aspect to understand is they're trying to get rid of the rule of law and they're trying to get rid of democracy. Yeah. In, in my view. Okay. I don't think they're going to be successful. I don't uh, because, because No way, because Jose. I, yeah, because we can see that the tide is turning slowly yes. but surely. Yes. Um, it's, it's just going to take a little longer than what happened back in 2009. Mm -hmm. Uh, because we even have that Council of Europe uh, decision uh, or investigation, yeah. which is a really important document, actually. Yes. Um, it has a lot of um, value for convincing people, you know, that they've tried to do this before. I want to get that in front of a court to show that this has happened before, but now they organized a lot, a lot better. You know, they, with the event, with, we saw that with the event 201 where they organized on how they would um, censor everything. Yeah. yeah. If you need any detailed information on what happened, then I can put you in touch with Wolfgang Wodak, because he was a member of the Council of Europe then. Of course. Okay. The, on the only issue I see uh, is that it might not be an issue, but when we're actually lodging these cases, we will need at some point expert witnesses um, which might be international, yeah. We have them. Are you aware that we have a ruling here from, uh, you know, a court, a family court in Weimar? And, you know, this, this was the first time that actually um, a court ruled based on evidence. Uh, I mean, like we experts, 
statements? Expert I, was, I was only aware. I was only aware of the Portuguese uh, decision. Oh no, but God, because so we this we, one we have also translated into English, and it's yeah. in, it's a 100-page uh, ruling, and in the, oh, in, it includes all the um, expert opinions. So you can really opinions. use this on the PCR right. test, on the dangerousness of the masks, and on the, the psychological, psychological effects. Uh, effects on, on children. children. Yeah. So yeah. it's a good thing we're connecting because once again, we're. We're, this makes it possible for us to, um, well, to put you in a better position to argue your case. You don't have to invent the wheel twice. We have the expert opinions and we have the experts. They're at the ready. Ryan, you have a question. What happened to this case of Weimar? Is there an appeal? And what happened to the judge? Because I hear that they put him in jail for one uh, for a few hours at least. No, they didn't. Uh, no, they but didn't. there are a lot of rumors swirling around. They searched his home and his office and his car, and they seized his uh, cell phone and his computer. But he now has a, an excellent an excellent criminal defense attorney and he's gotten everything back and it turns out that there's a new decision a new ruling by a by an appellate court which which explicitly states that yes it's the family courts uh, which are responsible for deciding on whether or not um, the children's a child's well or children's well-being is in danger. It's not the administrative law courts because that's what happened here. Uh, behind the scenes, this this falls into the responsibility of a member of the Green Party. They're probably the most dangerous politically, the most dangerous uh, position that we have to watch out for. Uh, but what happened is because the entire world was reading this decision and it's extremely helpful in many courts of law including in the united states they tried to put a lid on this and they tried to um, signal to the rest of the world if any other judge acts in this manner we're going to put him behind bars that's why these rumors are swirling around but they're losing this case because as i said an appellate court not the one that's responsible for this decision, but another appellate court explicitly stated, no, it's not the administrative law courts uh, in, in whose, um, in whose uh, responsibility this falls, but it's the family law courts. And, okay. this co and this ruling is still there. It has not been overturned. There is no appeal to the, to the ground of the, the, the decision, or there is an appeal. At the no, it's, not. No. no, but it's actually a case um, to know where they cannot appeal it. Yeah. Because it's something that the judge decides himself, and this, because, I mean, this was like a uh, a fast track ruling. But you know, when there's when the main case is going to come, it's also going to be the same judge. So basically, they cannot do anything about this. You know, about well, his being. Well, they can appeal it, but the first measure is to ask for an oral hearing. This was done uh, without an oral hearing because this was a motion for a preliminary judgment, more or less. It's not really a motion, but something like that. So he issued his order, but he, they can now appeal it to this very same judge. And then it's going, that's, I think then it's going to go up to the appellate court. We don't know what's going to happen then, but in the meantime, there, there, there are a number of uh, constitutional challenges, uh, one by one of the most famous uh, constitutional law professors in this country. And I think that's going to help that other case as well. 
But we'll would see. Also, if, if it goes to the next level, this case, they would also need to look at expert opinions. Yeah. And that's going to be really hard to, to yeah. get. I mean, because yeah. there's basically nothing that the other side can bring it's, forward. It's very, very hard to overturn a judgment that is based on an actual hearing on, of evidence, of listening to witnesses, or in this case, of uh, looking at expert opinions. Very hard to overturn that. And if it happened, it, it'll, it'll clearly be another sign of lawlessness because we believe it's next to impossible to overturn this. We've listened to a number of other experts today uh, who explained to us about the dangers of masks and the dangers in particular of the PCR test. This is child molestation on a grand scale, what's happening in the schools with the PCR tests. Uh, these, uh, these judgments that you have in, in Germany, are uh, you putting them somewhere on a website that we can yes. find them? Yeah, yes. we can send you a link. You know, we have this, um, this website with, uh, that we basically run with our information. It's called 2020news.de. And in this, we have in English this, uh, an article, you know, with the sort of most important points um, from the ruling. And also the ruling is linked in there as well. I can, we can send you the link. So you can but find I, everything from the, 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 this court I have, but others, maybe I, I don't have them all. I have some of them. I have these things from Bosnia-Herzegovina. I have them from uh, Strasbourg. There's also a very interesting judgment in Strasbourg. I don't know if you know about it. No. Can you send it to us? A few months, yes. A few mm. months old. Um, uh, there is uh, some, some stuff, you know, the Portuguese, the, the Rome decision. Mm -hmm. uh, there is also some stuff in Belgium which can be interested for you. Interesting for you. Uh, I would be happy to to assist you to send you some uh, of these rulings in Belgium and other countries too. Huh? Yes, please and do that. Are you able to follow France? Yes, our friend and colleague uh, Jean Luc Duhamel is is pretty much providing us with all the relevant information. We believe okay. there's something big going to happen in France too. Yes, because we are also following the French side. You know, as Belgians, we are obliged to. Mm -hmm have to speak two languages at least <laughs> otherwise we are hit in school you know <laughs> so uh, we, we are a connection between the the more german speaking and the latin speaking uh, countries and if you want to uh, we will assist you in that okay great all right it's been a long day but thank you very very much alexis and michael um, we must stay in touch because that's the way to win this. We have to have this international legal community and maybe in the end, an international Corona court. We'll see. Okay. Okay. So I think we've come to the end of this session and it's been really crazy again. Yeah, <laughs> like crazy like, again. Yeah. Like really <laughs> outrageous. Well, but it's good to know all these things and it, the picture is becoming more and more clear. I think, you know, because yeah. of that it's really lockstep everywhere, the same methods, the same. We don't have anything in our files, you know, silence and all this is really quite telling. Well, yeah, so thanks everyone. And um, thank you for watching this. And um, I think we'll be back soon with another round of international investigation. Yes. So thank you so much. Have a great weekend. Have a great weekend. You too. Bye, guys. Thank you, thank you for having us. Bye. Thanks so much. Thank you.